The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 405. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? Huge I show. got a haircut in time for the show? You did. Oh, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> you look You look sharp. Now, now you just got to fight the cold that's coming on and uh, the crazy weather, and you'll be all right. <laughs> no, the weather's way better. I don't know if I, I told you. It's like it's like melting. It's it's dry. Oh, up. good. It's wonderful. Good. Yeah. Well, as things thaw, guess what? Mm-hmm. I th- the reason why I thought it was bad weather, because I thought it was a cold day in hell, Noah. This episode has been 445 days in the works. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, today I will be reviewing the Purism Librem 15 Ultimate Linux laptop. That's not a MacBook Pro sitting in front of me. That is the Librem 15. It is here. I've put it through its paces. I've solved a few challenges. And I'm going to tell you about the laptop that I crowdfunded on November 22nd, 2014, that showed up on my door recently, and how it actually compares and stacks up to what was promised. So that's coming up. Really excited to give that review to you guys. But not just that. Huge news this week to cover. No one I've been talking about this. All morning. Uh, it's big news this weekend. The Linux Mint site was hacked. The forms, the ISOs were compromised. We're going to give you this. We're going to tell you about the scope of the problem, uh, what software was used to do it, how you can find out if it's an issue that affects you, and, and maybe what our thoughts are on the issue and maybe the bigger picture here. And then also in the news segment, it is Mobile World Congress season, and that means we've got actual devices that you want to get your hands on. They're going to be able to run Ubuntu Touch. I'm not talking like weird name brand stuff. I'm talking actual lustworthy devices that will be running Ubuntu Touch very soon. We'll tell you about that. Also, big official news for ZFS and Linux. It's actually better than we thought. The news is out from Canonical about the official ZFS support coming in Ubuntu 16.04. We'll give you the details about that. We're going to tell you about Mimic, something from the Mycroft project that looks really damn fascinating, going to make desktop Linux AI even better. And then Red Hat and Microsoft sitting in a tree. If that tree's name was Azure. With some interesting caveats. We'll tell you about those caveats in the news segment. Then after that, we got the feedbacks. But before all of that, Noah, you know what we got? The picks. It is the picks. And it seemed only appropriate on this episode of Linux Action Show where we are going to be reviewing something that I crowdfunded 445 days ago. I thought it would only be appropriate to follow up on something, a crowdfunding project that we featured that appears to be shipping and uh, seems to also have a bit of a crew establishing under them. It's called Endless. And we talked about Endless. Oh, actually, I put it in the show notes. I think it was, uh, when we talk about Endless, it was episode um, 363. So in episode 363, we told you about Endless, a computer designed for the entire world. Uh, And just as a real, real quick uh, sort of um, introduction, I'll play just a few seconds of their video that kind of explains it, since they could do it in a better way than I can with cooler hipster music. A few years ago, while traveling through India, I had a really simple insight. Most people have a television. And I looked down at my phone, and in my hand, I realized it was a full CPU tower. In other words, if you used a smartphone processor to power a full desktop operating system and you plugged it into people's TVs, you could suddenly make the cost of a computer the same as a smartphone. Meet Endless, the first computer developed with 
and for our users in emerging markets. It doesn't require training to use. It doesn't get slowed down with viruses. It runs on affordable processors. It can use your TV as a monitor. It's cheaper than most tablets, and it has over 100 applications preloaded that work with or without the internet. And it runs Linux, which is why it's our runs Linux pick this week. So the Endless is uh, it's actually a, a real product that uh, is shipping and selling right now. Here's the prices it broke down to: seventy nine dollars USD for uh, the cheap one, and one hundred eighty nine dollars for the more powerful one, as they put it. And uh, the design of it's it's pretty interesting looking. It's um, how would you describe that shape? No, it looks like a subwoofer almost. Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me kind of like the at least like the overall uh, the overall vibe it sends to me is IMAX circa two thousand three, like where they had like the the oh, color right bubbling. where it was in the dome and it had a yeah. screen coming out of it. But this does, does yeah. you just supply it your own screen. screen. Yeah, yeah, but it just it looks like something from that era. You know, the bubbly, colorful playful thing and i it's 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 interesting right before the show segment started you asked me if if i remembered covering this and i'm like or if you if i remembered watching it on the show yeah i was a host on the show when when we when we featured this so i, I do remember now that i'm seeing it. Um, and it, it'll be kind of cool to see if it actually takes out my concern is i think there's an awful lot of competition in that sphere you yeah know, you have things like the raspberry pi and the arduino and all that stuff and and so you know, is this really- is a you know this is a fully assembled, ready to go kit though, which is kind of nice about it. Um, yeah. It's totally user approachable. You just plug things in. Uh, and the other thing, the other reason I'm kind of liking it is they are also supplying code upstream, like to Pulse Audio and GTK and to the Linux kernel uh, and to the Open Build service. So they're actually participating in Plymouth, some other things, uh, GNOME software, uh, x86 Intel video drivers. They're actually there's they're actually working on quite a bit of code too, which is kind of and they're contributing that back. Uh, and they have kind of a kind of a good they have kind of a good team. It's kind of neat, especially for this episode, to see something go from crowdfunding to actual shipping Linux product. You might be mm-hmm. right, Noah. There is a lot of competition for something like this, but um, well, somebody's so got to pull ahead, right? Doesn't so, somebody yeah, have to? Well, so let me ask you this: what what is the what's the target audience for something like this? So Developing think, world, I think. Okay, so yeah, I think there's probably a, a market. So so the 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 slightly untechnical savvy developing world, right? Because they're not going to they're not going to assemble something. They don't want to buy a kit and put it together. Exactly. They just yeah, okay. they know they I need the internet that, yeah. or they need access to basic computer functionality. Mm-hmm. Um, Chatroom's pointing out, you know, uh, like you could pick up um, used PCs in the emerging market too, as well. For sure, but are they? What are the power uh, requirements? Like I know that was true. I uh, I, I did a, a consulting gig, you know, a couple months ago, and they were looking at at. At, we were looking at putting computers um, in the hands of people that um, you know were less fortunate, and one of the big concerns was of using older machines were is they were very power hungry. And the problem with that is in certain areas of the world, you don't have you know reliable good power, and so um, you got to be able to make do with with you know with alternative means sometimes. And that's where you know the ARM based stuff really started to to kind of shine ahead of, of you know used older computers because they were they were not very power efficient. So just to sort of you know conclude my thoughts on the on the endless, um, I here's why I do like it over something like a used x86 PC or something like that. Noah is mm-hmm. to me, well, this can never really run Windows, so that's a plus to it right there. A used yeah. x a used x86 machine could be used that's to true. run Windows, uh, and that's what a lot of people who are going to do these kind of outreach programs would do. But also, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me when we visited System seventy six was that they played a bigger role. They don't just sell computers that run Linux really good. What, they, what they're what they actually doing is, and as you as you know, you talk to Emma, 
they're also playing a role of converting people and giving them an on-ramp into Linux and helping them move from Windows or the Mac into Linux equivalents. And so to have an entire product structure around the emerging world and people who are not super technical but need access to computers and using open source, it's not just the hardware they're selling, but it's also they're ideally going to make the the, – right kind of deals or partnerships or whatever to get in certain stores and, and, and work with that type of customer base too, which is uh, there's a lot of people out there that are making open source products that can be used in emerging markets, but this is something that's kind of bringing all of it together as a product and they're being responsible from the beginning to end, from the manufacturing of the machine to the software stack to the support of it, which is a pretty good idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that you, you find when you find people that, that where their product exists a passion and it's not just... It's not just a job. It's just not where they go to work. It's actually something that they believe down in their core. When you find people like that and you find companies that, that spring up of that, I think that's where you're going to get the best product. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens when it ships. I think it is shipping, but only in limited amounts right now. So I think it is okay. actually kind of shipping. So, yeah. I don't know. I was just actually just checking to see what happens if I buy it. But I guess I don't need to do that. So I'm not going to find out. I'm not going to go down the path of buying it. Uh, you know why? You know why I know it? Because I got a purism right here I need to review yeah. first. <laughs> so before we get into the rest of the show, I want to thank our sponsors this week over at DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code. Are you ready for this? It's one of power. Last Digital. All lowercase, one word. Last Digital. Give you a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. This is where I go to basically spin up any Linux rigs now. Even even for local VMs. It's $5 a month for their 512 megabyte unit. Uh, but... They also offer hourly pricing, so you could get a pretty nice rig and just pay the hourly rate and use it for several hours if you need to do testing. And then it's easy to flip it in production when you're ready. And DigitalOcean has a straightforward API that makes it really easy for people to build services and features around DigitalOcean. We'll be talking more about that uh, once we get our Mattermost server up and actually going. It'll be running on DigitalOcean. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 a month. For 20 gigabyte SSD, because they're all SSDs, a super fast CPU and a terabyte of transfer with really good good connections, uh, 40 gigabit E connections to, at the data centers. Uh, they have locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. For both Noah and I, it's it's our no-brainer solution. Uh, I, I host tons and tons of things up on DigitalOcean now that uh, – it like, for example – uh, I also particularly like the fact that for my sync thing server that I sync to, mm-hmm. I have that hosted in San Francisco. That for me makes that means when I sync when I pull down from my DigitalOcean droplet, I saturate the internet connection here. It's a hundred megabit connection. Of course, it's a Comcast connection, so you don't really get that. But either way, I really like that functionality. It feels like land speeds to you. It, I mean, it's as, it's as damn good as I imagine I could ever get. To tell you the truth, it is damn fast, Noah. And. Uh, I don't have as many droplets as Noah does, but I, I, I think I'm running like six droplets now, which is, you know, for me, that's a fair amount. That's a fair amount because anytime we really want to do something new or do a segment, I like throw up a droplet and sometimes like, we end up keeping it because it's great yeah. software. And so, I just, you know, $5 a month is really an unbelievable value. And I'm still coming from that old school where stuff was just unbelievably priced, you know, thousands of dollars a month just for a terabyte of transfer. I remember Did when I we say- paid $1,000 for transfer. Yeah, when we were at when we were out at scale, uh, Alex was with me, and so we were going around to the different booths or whatever. And and Alex got a bug in his ear about MB, 
And so we were talking about what it does and Stephanie goes, well, how do I do that? And I said, well, you'd have to set it up on a server. And he goes, well, I don't have a server. How much are those? We go price one out. And I'm like, well, we could, but you could go over here and you could use it. So I was explaining DigitalOcean to me. He's like, well, can we set it up now? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we go back to the, we're sitting in the hotel room and from having no experience of administrating a server whatsoever, he had a working MB server and a, he actually set up a web-based transmission client. Uh, nice to, to, to download stuff and he did all of that and about, i'd say about 30 minutes with uh, you know I, I gave him a couple little pointers but really he did it all himself and just kind of figured it out just yeah. from the digital oceans faqs and then the tutorial that mb had on there so the thing about it is is because it's you get you can just really get a system deployed in no time uh i on a wild hair was like let's see what the process is to go from fedora 22 to 23 or whatever it was at the time i can't remember uh and then go from uh cloud to server server to cloud whichever i did i think went cloud to server i think Mm -hmm. that's what i did and then i was like let's just see what this is like just to try this and then i said then i decided well now that I've got server, let's try cockpit. And I had yeah. cockpit up and running in like no time. And I'm like, well, now that I can deploy containers inside cockpit, I'll deploy MB. And I deployed yeah. MB in cockpit on a Fedora system running on a DigitalOcean droplet. And the whole thing, because at no point there's like a spot where you, you're like, oh, this part, yeah. God, yeah. you yeah. never run into that when you. So you just you get a crazy, you get a great, great crazy idea. You can just go try it. And if it if it sticks, the the systems are powerful enough that you can throw them in production and they're great. And then like Noah's saying, once you're up and running, their tutorials are so excellent that if you mm-hmm. get any kind of sticky points, they're gonna have a guide. Like I've been talking about some of these. They got these up for Ubuntu as well, but uh, I think this one this is super legit. How to secure and X with Let's Encrypt on CentOS 7. Mm-hmm. Really good guide, really well documented. Imagery, uh, they, they make code and commands obviously broken out. They have screenshots of these SSH end curses prompts. All of it. It is an example of the great stuff they have over DigitalOcean. They have really good stuff, and you can get started when you use our promo code LASTDIGITAL. So go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. Support the show. Keep us on the air, and get yourself a $10 credit. Try out that $5 rig for just free. Or like I said, they have an hourly credit too, so you could try out a pretty nice rig um, for just you know, a few hours and use that credit up. No problem. Go get a crazy one. They got one with like 640 gigabytes of storage or something. I can't remember. Or 640 gigabytes of memory. I, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I think it's terabytes of storage and 640 gigs of RAM. <laughs> you could go crazy. Wow. I'd love to have a reason to try it. We should come up with an episode where we have an excuse to try that for some reason. Just to, just to try it. I don't, I don't even know what we'd do. But we can come up with something. Yeah, I'm sure we can, yeah. I just, maybe like an entire terminal server and the, all the desktop sessions run out of RAM. Could you imagine running your desktop out of RAM on the connection they have at DigitalOcean? Somebody yeah, should try it. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL and record the whole thing. That'd be awesome. Uh, let's talk about something that's a little on the ordinary side for our desktop pick. Uh, however, I agree, producer Q5Sys picked this one, and I think if you're not into that, if you're not into that cloud stuff, you know, you're not like Noah over there walking around wearing Google Glass, having your fridge connected to your Google Calendar, telling about your appointments when you go to get your OJ in the morning. If that's not your bag, if you're more of a local I don't data, have that actually, no, but you used to, you used to, <laughs> yeah, you did. Time. And nobody will let you forget it. Nobody's going to ever let you forget it. And, you know, every time I laugh, I, I, go, I go to Best Buy, I look at the Samsungs, and I go, now I know. I'm not yeah. doing that. I'm not doing yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so maybe you want to go on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you like yourself the offlines. You want to back it up to a thumb drive or something like that. Export your data like they used to do back in the 90s. Well, this is a really slick day organizer. 
that does just that. And I know you're thinking, a day organizer? Chris, what the hell's the matter with you? Well, it, you know, it turns out for me, I can think of like about a few days into the future and then like I know like in like I know like on Tuesday I need to do a brain dump. Uh, Angela and I have like a few things I want to talk about after tech talk to just, you know, make sure we have like a few processes worked out for recording. And I know about them right now. And I know I want to talk about them on Tuesday, right? I, I don't, I'm sure you've probably been in this position before, Noah. And a mm-hmm. traditional calendar appointment, like a Google calendar appointment or a, an appointment on your phone, it, it doesn't really feel like it's conducive to creating a note about that day. And that's one of the things I really like about Osimo is, so let's say I go over to uh, Tuesday, uh, February, or, you know, I'm on January because I was, I was dorking around. Let's say I go over to uh, February on Tuesday, the 23rd, right? I can go in here and I can not only make an appointment, but I can just put in a large block of text in here. And I can I, I can actually, you know, put quite a bit of information. Now, I, now watch this, Noah. And I have an example. In the, in, I have a screenshot in the show notes. But so I can put a large block of text in here. I can also do things like I can make sure this is like the, this might be the really important thing I want to talk about. It has a highlight function there. And I can highlight certain areas. It's got uh, an agenda like a breakout thing. You can clear out all the text. You can insert a timeline if you want to talk about things at a certain timeline. That's kind oh. of a neat feature. So you insert a timeline, it asks you what the timeline is, and then it automatically creates it. And I can, so I can create the agenda right here. And again, this is all just text in here. Of course, it also supports – and that's, now that's assigned to Tuesday the 23rd. So when my calendar reminder for Tuesday the 23rd comes up, I have this nice large block here. And I can also do things like I can set tasks, I can manage contacts, and I can just take notes in here. It's called Osimo. And one of the Osimo, things – right? O-S-M-O? Yeah. O-S-M-O. And one of the nice things about it – uh, is I can go down and of course I can export everything out to just general text. I can de- I can determine where the data is stored at. What all that stuff. Huh. Well, yeah, it's it is a nice Where's local data. My life? Yeah, I thought so too. Right and now for me, I kind of like stuff synced to my phone. This isn't going to do that. You know, it's uh, it's not a global calendar solution that's mm-hmm. uh, that's backed by the power of the cloud. It is. It's something free. Now you could export the file out and manage to sync it to your different devices and come up with your own solution. But, uh, yeah, you can find it at uh, clayo.org slash awesome. Yeah, I just installed it. I'm super impressed. This is actually something I'd use. Yeah. That's cool. So check it out, and thanks to producer Q5Sys. Although, you know, uh, for, for the suggestion, I noticed, though, I noticed that they don't have a uh, – well, they haven't shipped a version for a while. But, you know, if, when you get something like this, that's almost a good thing. Uh, and it uses a plain XML database to store all the data. So you could, in theory, open it up if you wanted to. And, and yeah. dig through. It installs just fine on 1404. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's in the Arch uh, repository. I think it's just in the community repository. It's been around a while. So something that's kind of new and would be perfect to run on like a, a VPS or a droplet or your own LAN server um, or, you know, I don't know, probably all kinds of things you could come up with. But I thought this was really neat, Noah. Uh, it's Logio. Log.io, real-time log mm-hmm. monitoring, supports systemd. And uh, as you kind of guessed by the name, uh, it uh, – well, it gives you a real-time, live, updated log in your web browser. It, uh, it has harvesters that watch for log file changes and send new log messages to the server, which then broadcast to web clients. Log messages are tagged with stream, node, and log-level information based on user configuration. Log.io has no persistence layer. Harvests are informed of file changes via notify, or iNotify, and log messages hop from harvester to server with web client via TCP and Socket.io, respectively. So it has a simple TCP interface. It uses a stateless TCP IPA to... I, I'm sorry... API to receive log messages, and it makes it really easy to write third-party harvester code for it. So if you're trying to come up with maybe a central logging solution or something like this, this could be the front-end live log, uh, and you could actually pretty easily write your own harvester plugins 
to pull out data you want. So either hmm. something really simple, just look at your system log, or maybe to build a LAN log monitoring solution, log.io. So it's uh, logio, L-O-G-I-O dot org. Seen something like this before, Noah? You seem like you're uh, familiar with this. Yeah, yeah, I have. I've, 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 I've seen it before, and it's one, of, it's one of those projects that I've always had at the edge of my brain, in the back of my brain, saying I have to deploy this at some point because it would probably save me a ton of time, probably be really useful. And I've never. Not really- only that, not only will it save you a ton of time and help you track down things, but just really quickly, I guarantee you it will make you more money. I guarantee you it will lead to more billable yeah. hours and. And it is phenomenal if you have a breach or some sort of problem, like mm-hmm. malware gets on your system, to be able to see what all the different systems reported at the same time. So have them all synced up at the same time, too, to, to, yeah. via NTP. I mean, it is, to be quite honest, it was required by the FDIC audits for the bank I worked at. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, and the solutions back then, so, 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 so super sucked. So super yeah. sucked. Uh, we tried everything from like Oracle DB-backed solutions to... Early versions of flat file database. It was everything that we tried, and it was so monstrously horrible. Uh, this is much better now, and systems are much easier to work with this kind of data. And this code exists. There wasn't anything like this back then when we did this. Uh, so it's a huge deal. And you know, but from a contractor's perspective, you you look, you come away looking like you're on top of everything because you can start saying, "Hey, you know, we're seeing this error in your logs, and mm-hmm. this is something we need to." To take a take a take a look at, and not only that, but just on the side, it's also a great excuse to just pick up the phone and talk to the client that you haven't had yeah. a great reason to call, that hasn't checked yep. in for a while, and now you can say, "Hey, we're monitoring your systems," and you know. And then, honestly, some of the places I worked for, they build for just the monitoring, just to yeah. monitor oh, yeah, the systems. Yeah, sure. They charged a monthly flat rate, and then of yeah. course they use that to identify billable issues, and then they went and got more billable for it. So. You want to know a totally off topic? Well, not really off topic, but it's kind of off topic. You know what my uh, you know what my secret to you know, starting that conversation back up after uh, what? Had for a while? what donuts? Tim Hortons. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding, man. It works every time. I go over there, I take a dozen donuts. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, my name's Noah. I'm your account yeah. rep, and I just want to let you know that we're the ones that maintain your network. And I just thought I'd stop by and bring you guys some donuts. It, it, the reaction is the same every time. You brought us these? These are for us? Donuts always were. I, and so, then like a day later, because my business card is attached there, like a day later, two days later, they're like, the fax machine doesn't work or the printer doesn't work or some you know, absurdly simple issue. Yeah, it's great. So the way to the new clients is through their heart. I was uh, – so I took Lady Jupiter and, you know, so we, we picked up Lady Jupiter, went to scale, and, uh, and they're like, uh, they're like, so this is your first time going on a class A. Just, you know, you know, there's like a million systems on these things and yeah. uh, 200 of them are going to fail on your first trip. That's totally yeah. standard. And you yeah. just bring it back. We'll take care of all of it. And we're okay. like, okay. And nothing, nothing fatally – Fatally yeah. ruined, died. Our water pump yeah. started to go out towards the end, but uh-huh. it was towards the end. Uh, yeah. So we took it back last week. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Rekai's been out. And so mm-hmm. the timing right. kind of worked out. I actually moved into the studio for like four days well, or five days. So we took it on uh-huh. Saturday. Saturday. So Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. Friday. So I actually stayed here. Wow. I actually stayed here seven nights. Um, and uh, so then went down and picked up Lady Jupiter from the service center last mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. which is like a six-hour ordeal to go down there and get back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it feels like we go on a road trip because we get back and yeah. we're just exhausted. Like, oh, man. Uh, anyways, I get down there, and it's a new service guy. I'm like, oh, no, this is no good. This, he's going to forget everything. He's going to, you know, because, you know, there's continuity that's been yeah, lost. right, right, and, for sure. Uh, so we walk in. He's like, hi, my name is Hez. I'm, I'm the new service manager here at Sunset RV. And, uh, oh, okay. He's like, uh, would you like a donut? Up come the donuts. He had donuts ready to go. And I was like, this is my man. Yeah, I'll take a donut. And then so we were good. 
We were everything. Everything worked out just fine. They fixed. They 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 fixed everything they could. Um, there is one problem they can't fix that I wonder if you and I could solve. It is a okay. lit- it's literally like a, a signal interference issue with the LED oh. lighting system and the antenna and a buzz in, in in the audio system. I think maybe we could figure it out. We'll have to see. In the master bedroom. Yes. In the I was bedroom. right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is in the master bedroom. Yeah, they could. I, I knew they wouldn't be able to fix it. I knew they wouldn't cuz it's like it's it's a it's it's a weird problem. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's all good and I got donuts. You're right. That is a good trick, Noah. That is a good trick. All right. Logio and or logio and Osimo. Yeah, they kind of rhyme. Those are our uh, desktop and weekly spotlights as well as endless you can usually find those at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks, but nobody's been updating it. And no one, I don't have time to do that. Ain't nobody. If you'd like to help us, it is up on GitHub. You can fork it, update it, and we'll get that new version up there. You can find it at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks, and we get that updated with all our previous picks. It is the awesome. But Noah, with the picks all done, let's do the news. The news in this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. No, everybody go to last.ting.com. Last.ting.com is where you go to support this show. But you can also get yourself a discount, about $25 off a device or a Ting line. What? Wait, wait, wait. You don't, you don't know about Ting? You don't, you don't know about Ting? Ah, Noah, tell the people about Ting. No, you tell them about Ting. I always tell you. So I, uh, I basically back way back when I think I've said the story once or twice on air. And I was fa- I used to fall asleep listening to last. And when la- when they first came wait a on minute, are you podcast, saying? Anyways, continue. I used to fall asleep listening to last, which is not to say that last was you know, unentertaining. It's just that that was that was that was it was. No, so you're soon. just saying you, you took so me soon. to bed. So it you're saying like like sort saying, of what you're which what I'm kind of okay. So just so I can picture it. So like yeah. you're laying there, yeah, and you're listening to me. Uh-huh. And are and you're laying next to Sarah while you're while yes. you're listening yep. to me. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Good. <laughs> Reminded to tell you something off air about that. Anyway, so uh, so I'm 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 sitting there and I'm 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 falling asleep listening to last, and all of a sudden you you make the ad read about Ting, and so I look over at Sarah and I'm like, hey, I need to I need to go investigate this. So I get up and I, I like sit up in bed and I'm I'm, I'm on Ting and I'm like, this is amazing. I need to do this. This is this, this is, is great. I didn't know and this. So, I don't think you've ever told me this part. Oh really? Okay. So <laughs> so at like three in the morning, I sign up for a Ting account and I you, I, I just kind of jump all in. I'm like, well. Let's just try it. So I actually I port my my actual cell phone number, like not like a test number to just try it out. Like my actual cell phone number, I ported over, and uh, I, the the only phone at, at the time that I was I was going to spend money on f- from them because I hadn't quite decided what I wanted was uh, like a little flip phone. Oh so, sure, yeah, that's a nice way to get in too because like what they're like under sixty bucks. Uh, you just pay for what you use, nice and easy, right? Good good and, toe and, in the water. And it was it was a great way to just kind of judge coverage and stuff like that. So the phone comes and I tr- I tried it for probably less than a week and decide yeah this is the way to go. So I end up ordering my a smartphone, but then I figure for six bucks a month I'll just leave the little flip phone activated. Why not? So I get my S three and I have the little flip phone. So fast forward a couple of months, I go uh, to Linux Fest Northwest and. The, the coverage there, cell phone coverage, is horrendous. And so my, my regular cell phone totally dies. Like it's totally yeah, dead. But I remember this. phone from Ting yep. is still working. And yep. that's working all right. So I get in the car and you had gotten sick. So you're driving. And so Angela goes, oh, I need cell phone number. From I my couldn't room. drive. I was so sick. I couldn't yeah, drive. Oh, yeah, yeah. So somebody was driving you home. Angela was driving you home. So she goes to get cell phone numbers from everyone. And the only phone I have available to me is the phone I haven't charged in like a week because it's this little tiny you know flip phone thing. And so I give her 
for that number. And then I was able to have cellular communications to, to be able to drive home. And then, then it, it just kind of launched from there because then I got my wife on there and then I got my sister on there and then I got my mother on there and I got my in-laws on there. And now Alex is on there and everyone I run into, I'm like, yeah, I should sign up for Ting. And I have also found a, a dirty little hobby of going on eBay or Amazon and buying phones that like, 15 or 20 dollars you can find a phone and unlock gsm phone on for like it's five great bucks. dude and, it's and, like you're, you know what's funny is I have like a collection now no one shows up I'm like okay what new phone you got what do you yeah. got now and they're no, like I, yeah, not like I me do. when i get a new phone it's like 600 bucks i'm like oh what did i do and you're like oh it's like 20 bucks so and now my latest thing the, the, this past week or so or the past couple weeks really has been what things can, what other things can i do with unlock gsm devices and so i get a buddy of mine he has his he can start his car from from the remote and has an app that he could do it from his phone but the app wasn't working right so we're in the process of soldering we took his spare remote and we're soldering the uh start button to a naturally raspberry of course pi with with a gsm chip so that he can ssh into his raspberry pi and start his car remotely obviously and all possible because it's only six dollars a month and the raspberry pi is only 20 bucks so if it doesn't work we're out like yeah. 30 dollars. and you're only really paying not. for what you use and then like you right. want you want to shut the project down for a little bit they got an awesome dashboard you shut it down which, no big deal which by the way means we're not paying for minutes or messages right and that's something you won't get with any other cell phone company you buy no. into the pool of minutes and the pool of messages rather or not you want to use yeah. messages yeah. and, or and minutes. it's just with six dollars for the line and you just pay for what you <laughs> use with no contract no early termination fee last.ting.com go there and check it out before we go our girl Kyra has got an app pick. I'm not Mr. Google here. You know this. I've tried to de-Googleify a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. However, there is one thing that's so damn good. It's it's creepy, but it's so damn good. It's like my favorite Google product in the whole world. And our girl Kyra is here with the app pick of the week. If you're running out of space for photos on your phone, this is the app for you. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting Download. Buckle up! Photos solves your space issues, pushing every photo you take into the cloud so you can free up storage on your phone. It does a lot more than just store your photos, though. It also curates, edits, creates little slideshows of your travels, and more. Take some pictures and let Google Photos work its magic. You can easily create albums to organize your photos and make collaborative shared albums that can be viewed and updated by family and friends. You can also find your photos by visiting photos.google.com or by signing into the Google Photos app on another phone or tablet. Google sorts and categorizes your photos using its intelligent search tool. It scans everything it sees and groups photos by people, places, and things. It's slightly creepy, sure, but it's also super handy. It is. You can get specific with the search bar and still find relevant results. You'll be surprised what Google's image recognition and your searches will turn up. Yeah, it's crazy. The Assistant tab is where you'll find edits and presentations of your photos, created by Google just for you. All right. Discover collages, stories, animated GIFs, and more. Some are wonderful, some are weird, and it's definitely worth a look. Google Photos is free. It offers unlimited high-quality storage, and you can upload all your old photos and albums, too. Grab the app on Google Play and the App Store. Links are in the description below. Like, subscribe, comment. You know the drill. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Last.ting.com. So, uh, <laughs> this really is, it's a, it's a really, really nice app that they make. And it, it also gives them a unbearable amount of information about you, the locations, the people you're with, and, and a whole new level of all the things around you. Uh, and it was actually the main talking point we had in episode 233 of Tech Talk Today, uh, titled uh, appropriately The Creepiest Best Thing. And I go into, it has the ability to recognize, 
I, I, it's just it's unbelievable. Uh, I demonstrated uh, some Christmas photos that it tagged appropriately as Christmas that had no Santa Claus, no Christmas tree, nothing yeah. like that in it, and it's just it's solid. So it, it you know it backs up your photos too, which is I, nice. It just gives Google all of the information, location, face tagging, all that. I redid my my office uh, a year or so ago, and we painted it and and put new furniture and stuff like that. And I was trying to show somebody a picture of it, and I just typed orange gray uh, orange orange wall gray wall and desk, and it found the the, the picture. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, geez, man, like how, that's it's anyway, crazy. They know all the things. They know all the things. At the same time. Go check it out. Uh, also, you can grab the uh, – go to last.ting.com to support the show. You can get the GSM and CDMA cards. Put any device, any device, GSM or CDMA that supports the Ting Network, you can check out on their site. Just go to last.ting.com to get started. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring a Linux Action Show. So there's a new story that we've got to start with here that the chat room has been talking about all morning. In fact, the whole internet has been talking about it all morning. It's big news. Uh, Linux Mint – the project has been all kinds of hacked. Uh, it started with an announcement about ISOs. If you download Linux Mint on February 20th, then you downloaded a Cinnamon Edition, 64-bit. Then you downloaded an ISO that has a Trojan in it. So it only appears to affect, again, Linux Mint 17.3 Cinnamon Edition X64. And uh, we'll have the uh, MD5 sum in the show notes if you want to check these to see if uh, perhaps... You downloaded a bad version. And uh, then very quickly after this, it came out that also the form had been compromised and that anybody with a uh, username on the form and password needs to uh, change those. Uh, and the forms include uh, an, en- an encrypted copy of your form password. Not sure which. Your email address, your personal information that you might have put in their signature profile, uh, perhaps your birth date, any information you've written on forms. All of that has been compromised. Uh, and here's what happened, you guys, is uh, pretty quickly after this, it was discovered that uh, via a WordPress compromise, the attackers were able to get access to the machine. They got usernames and passwords from the uh, configuration files and uh, also put the user information up for sale online for about 18 bucks in Bitcoin. Not a lot of money. <laughs> and... Uh, there is some indication that perhaps a few things were low-hanging fruit. The software that was included on the ISOs is a, ma- is a, is a Trojan called Tsunami. It's an IRC bot. They're essentially the attackers, you could, you could probably reasonably guess, were trying to maybe create an army of botnets with Linux Mint downloads. Mm-hmm. Um, Linux Mint has been undergoing some server issues lately. A couple of weeks ago, we didn't really cover it because... I don't really like covering DDoSs because it kind of gives attention to the DDoS, which is the entire point of a DDoS. So right. a couple of weeks ago, Linux Mint was being DDoSed while we were on the air. We didn't really talk about it because I just felt like it was just giving the attackers attention. Yeah. Uh, so it started with that. And then now this week, we have seen uh, the compromise here. Um, and now before we go any further, and maybe I'll try to reiterate these things, but uh, I want to give credit to Clem for being very transparent. He took mm-hmm. to the blog. Uh, he stayed up to like, he stayed up all night long responding to comments. Literally, yeah. he was responding Everyone, to comments. Everyone, yeah. somebody makes a comment, he gave yeah. the individual response. Yep. Yeah, and uh, super clear and transparent, super honest about it, shutting things down as fast as he realized what was happening. <laughs> he seems to be pretty on top of it, too. He's identified what the actual Trojan even was, the Tsunami Trojan. Um, and I'm going to give you more information about that here in a moment. But uh, 
I just want to. So before we go any further here, I just want to give Mint and Clem the credit for when something bad does happen, they've been really transparent and responsible about how they've disclosed it, including they even um, I have it over here. There's a new IT security alerts channel for Telegram. And they quickly posted to that to let everybody know what's going on. Um, so they've been trying to get the word out, not just on their blog, but in other places. So uh, when we look at this, what we what we can kind of tell is it appears that they they got a lot of things. They got they got uh, the MySQL root password. Uh, they got uh, access to the host that runs WordPress. They got access to the form. They got access to ISOs. They had a copy of the 32-bit ISO on their server, so it looks like they were planning to also uh, put the Trojan on the 32-bit version of the ISO. They just hadn't gotten to it yet. They got access to the Mint website and changed the HTML source to point to their bogus ISOs and published that. There's a, there's a lot of things that happen here. It starts with ISOs that have been compromised, and it quickly expands into an infrastructure that appears to have been ripe for the picking. Don't you kind of agree? Noah, what are your thoughts? Your reaction, sir? I, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really disappointed that, that this happened. I mean, it's, so to some degree, and kind of you know, piggybacking onto what you were saying, really, this kind of thing can happen to anyone. If, if attackers set their sights on you, um, there are, of course, there's uh, you know, a bunch of steps that you can take to try and mitigate it. But at the end of the day, if you have a, you know, a really determined crew, um, you know, bad things could happen. And really what demonstrates character is how you respond in the face of that. And I think that's been top-notch. I don't think we could have expected anything different. But you know, so first of all, every the, 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 the potential scope of that attack, of being able to literally from the ground up install software embedded into the operating system itself you know i as a seasoned linux person would probably not have caught that i mean there's some people that said well i used wget or i used uh, you know this to 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 um to to download and so i noticed the ip was different man i gotta tell you i got way too many things going on in my life to be paying attention to stuff like that oh yeah i, I notice you I mean, know I, what's I, funny cool. is i easily could have been bit by this because uh, i've been reloading and loading different uh distros and OS is on this Librem 15 for a week. And February 20th was yesterday. And I, I was I could have very easily have downloaded Mint and tried it on this machine and could have been bit by this. Right. Uh, I, I have linked in the show notes. Here's the other thing, Noah. This malware, this Trojan, dude, this is not new. This Tsunami Trojan has been around for years and years and years and years. I'm, I've linked to a write-up that kind of goes into details of how it works in the show notes. But on top of that... This thing's so old. In 2011, it was ported to the Mac, and it was starting to affect Macs. I mean, this is something that is – this is like an old tool that's well-known, and it a WordPress exploit is an old tool that's well-known. And here's where I want to go with this. I, I, I totally I, – I can only say this because I have been in the same – I am in the same position myself. When you take on too much stuff – when you do too much, something has to slip. You, you just a, a, a one human being like Clem can only only keep track of and manage so much stuff. And now he's got some very popular distributions under his belt. Mm-hmm. He's got several versions of those distributions. He's in the process of updating them and, and, and working on new versions. He's got X apps that he's now he's now managing and maintaining. And at the end of the day, something slips, and that oftentimes is infrastructure. And it is an example and an unfortunate result of a team that is overworked and can't properly spend the time on all of the things that they need to spend the time on. Um, people in the security community are really ripping them up for this, not for a few reasons, A, for the low-hanging fruit, but B, 
there there could have been more done to verify the identity and source of these files to prevent them from altercations that just simply wasn't done by the Mint team. Mm-hmm. Um, their database password was really bad and like less than six characters or something around there. And I looked at that and I I had to I had to do a double take when I looked at the exploit and I looked at their database password. I couldn't believe that's what they were using. Um, there's a lot of small things that all added up enabled this exploit and uh, I I don't know, I can't really, I don't have a lot of insight here, but what I feel like is the Mint team could be really served by some super savvy infrastructure people that come work with them to mm. really host this stuff. And uh, part of the reason I think the damage is not as widespread as it could have been is simply because so much of their software comes from upstream. Uh, and so some of the damage is just by that in its very nature, limited. But it's just it's real bad. And 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 to be honest with you, Noah, um even once the exploit was initially found, mm-hmm. not all of the action I thought that was taken was enough. Um it 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 took commenters to point out that other things had been compromised and that other servers needed to be shut down after the initial exploit was found. Not a super good response there. Um you, you that know, was a little me, disappointing too. Let me let me jump to the other side of this just for a minute. You know, because as you're as you're talking through this, you know, simple database passwords and stuff like that. You know, if you think about it, how many times have we set something up for Jupiter Broadcast? No, not we, I. How many times have I set something up for Jupiter Broadcasting and given you a ridiculously simple password? And because when at the time that it was implemented, we never really see it becoming anything big. When we set up the the you know the FTP server, it's just to send you files back and forth. I'm not really thinking yeah, about it. but you know at the same time though, uh, for example, when we did the Mattermost um, episode, I set up a Mattermost server, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not, and I, I gave a link out to some people to test it, but that's not the server that's going to go in production because. I didn't set it yeah. up to be in production, uh, and know. so I don't. I'm not going to release it in production, and and that's yeah. why, you know, uh, we've been working with some pretty cool people in the community to properly set up a secure Mattermost server before I put it in production. Yeah. And I mean, you know, now, now that you mentioned that, I guess, and look what we did with the phone server. I mean, I was so paranoid about having using having used simple passwords for stuff I didn't even leave it turned on, except when you were doing for shows until I had a chance to go through and vet it and go through and you know and set things up a little bit more properly. Yeah, but, we have we have. There's some things you can do when it's behind your own firewall and it's on your LAN. And then there's some things when you know a few thousand people are going to be banging on this thing. Well, that, that, I guess that was my point. Was did, you, did he know at the time? Was that the same database server that he set up when it was an idea in his basement and there was five people that No, he's down? just like me. You know, it's like uh, I use WordPress too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you what. Um, when, I, when I once every three months get five minutes to go, hmm, wonder what I feel like doing right now and I don't have something I have to do, guess what doesn't come up? Yeah. God, I feel like updating all my WordPress plugins. It's just not, you know, uh, and and so part of it is is you rely on the goodwill of community, and part of it is you try to you try to clean up any low hanging fruit that you know of. But the long the long and short of it is, there's always going to be somebody out there who's going to take a poke at you, like this guy right. who's selling the database on eBay, or whatever. It's not eBay, but whatever whatever he's selling it on. Um, I have it in the show notes. He, the guy's like he's a dick about it. He's like, uh, can't stop me, smiley face. Like, I'm just going to keep going. You can't stop me. And, and here is, you know, the Linux Mint project making a great desktop operating system yeah. for people that just want a good, solid Linux-based OS. They're not, they're not Monsanto. They're not Nestle. Yeah, they're yeah, not people yeah. out there destroying the world. Right. They're, 
it's it's freaking Linux Mint, and they're still getting attacked. Um, so that's unfortunate. And by the way, one of the things is because it is Linux Mint, it means the Linux community's taking a look. And so the Trojan, the 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 all the stuff, all the information's already online. Like people have posted up on Git, and you can look at uh, the code for the Trojan. Uh, we have in the show notes. You can just check if this file exists on your file system. You've yeah. got it, and we have that information in the show notes. So, like, the community response in the last 24 hours has been pretty damn impressive, and yeah. they're really covering it from all angles, and it's it's kind of neat to see it. And it's gone from, like, a, hey, we have this ISO issue to, yeah, it looks like we've been pretty screwed. I really hope that they decide to pursue this a little bit further and go after these people because this is, you know, this is... That, that is interesting that they're, at, at the present, uh, implied from Clem's notes is they're not talking to the authorities. Well, See, now I got the impression that they were evaluating it and, and yeah. hadn't made a decision yet. Yeah, that's probably he, true. He, he used phrases like, if we, de- if, if we decide if to we, go yeah. This seems to me like an obvious, like, if somebody did this to JB, I absolutely would work with the authorities. Just because, yeah. you know, it is, it is, in my estimation, pretty similar to going in and defacing a storefront. Oh, for sure. But I just I wonder if there isn't a legal cost associated or I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're facing, but I, I I hope that they ultimately decide to go after these people. You're right. There's, there's no reason, to, you know, to, to go after people like that. No. Um, and and I, 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 I maybe there's some maybe there's a deeper story to it. Uh, I would like to I, I would like to think about and speculate maybe on Linux Unplugged or something. What could we do? as a community, to have an infrastructure where you always know the ISO files you're downloading are reliable and they're from the source. Say we have MD5 sums and stuff, but nobody does that. Like, what could we do there? Well, you, can, you can compromise the ISO, you can compromise the MD5, right? I suppose if you could replace the... Uh, yeah, I suppose if you have access to, this, to the site and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I just feel like there's uh, uh, there's some solutions here that I think we could probably come up with some, some interesting ideas. I might talk about it more and Unplugged. Uh, all right, so this was what was going to be our top story this week until the Linux Mint <laughs> stuff happened uh, because it's way better than I expected. I'm legitimately impressed, and I don't know where this is going to go, but ZFS, as you all probably are aware, is going to be included in Ubuntu 16.04. And there's a little bit of info in this uh, Ars Technica article, but the new long-term support version of Ubuntu is coming out in April, and Canonical just announced a major addition that will please everyone interested in file storage. Ubuntu 16.04 will include the ZFS file system module by default, and the open ZFS-based implementation will get official support from Canonical. Official support. Well, what does official support mean? So, I went to Dustin Kirkland's blog. He's part of Canonical's Ubuntu product and strategy team. And he reports to Mark Shuttleworth, and he went to his blog and talked about it. So he talks about what ZFS ZFS is. Most of us know that. So what does official Ubuntu support mean? Well, I thought it meant that they were going to have a DKMS module that would automatically rebuild after every kernel update, which is a little iffy. It works pretty well for me. It's never really been a huge issue, but I'm always like, geez, I have to depend on a software build after an update for my file system to be successfully accessed. Hmm, a little iffy. Well, they're not doing it that way. They've changed their mind after reviewing some of the legalese. You are going to find that the ZFS.ko module is automatically built and installed on Ubuntu 16.04. No DKMS. You will see the load. You will see the module load automatically if you use the ZFS file system. The user space ZFS utils Linux package will be included in the Ubuntu main repo with updates provided by Canonical. Wow. As always, 
Enterprise class technical support will be available from Canonical with Ubuntu Vantage Services supporting ZFS as well. No rebuilding no, like, the module. They're all in. They are all 100% absolutely in. All in. Uh, and so uh, the question was as well, why couldn't you be all in three years ago? Why, what's, been the, what's been the big delay? What was, the, what was that legal battle? You remember this has been a legal question? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it, it appears that um, the, because the kernel, because the way the linking is happening, essentially it comes down to semantics. And because the, the module is connecting, I, I can't, I, well, I, I have it in the show notes, but essentially... Because the ZFS kernel module is not a derivative work of Linux, they feel like they can do this. And uh, it's funny. In the blog post, uh, Dustin essentially says, and this isn't up for debate. We're not going to debate this. We feel like this has been debated enough. Uh, Let's just go use it. And uh, so that's sort of – some people are are kind of like – Okay, like that's sort of obtruse. Like you're, yeah. like this isn't even up for debate. We're just going with this. Uh, you can find it on Dustin's blog if you're curious. Obviously, I could probably pull it up. Um, and they're really pitching this as uh, as as really the file system for containers on Ubuntu. That's a big push for them. But uh, yeah, here it is. Here's the post. So it says. Uh, the ZFS.ko as a self-contained file system module is clearly not a derivative work of the Linux kernel, but rather quite obviously the derivative work of OpenZFS and Solaris. Equivalent exceptions have been have existed for many years for various other standalone, self-contained, non-GPL kernel modules, like probably the NVIDIA kernel module, right? Our conclusion is good for Ubuntu users, good for Linux, and good for all free and open source software. As we have already reached the conclusion... We are not interested in debating license compatibility, but of course, welcome the opportunity to discuss the technology. Kind of like, we've looked at this, we've decided, we're not going to debate it anymore. Hmm. I, w- I mean, so uh, the chat room uh, points out, like, uh, you know, as, as he said in his, is in his blog, that it's actually derivative of OpenSolaris. And so, but, I, you know, I, it's going to be interesting because I have, even if, even, Aside from implementing it in servers, which is you know where this belongs, there has been more than one time where I've needed to recover data off of a off of a ZFS volume, and I would love to be able to plug that in my laptop and actually pull data off there. And there's just no easy, reliable way to do that right now. And if there, you know, if if we get support for ZFS on Linux, and I'm able, to, you know, it's going to in addition to being able to deploy servers, you know, with a, a better file system, I think it's going to enable me to support mm-hmm. the existing Good server. Point. Yeah. yeah, when people need to bail off those free BSD servers, your Linux box will be able to read that file system, no problem. Right. And if you're listening or watching right now and going, guys, guys, what about ButterFS? Uh, see industry demand and previous episodes of this show to see why not ButterFS. <laughs> you know, it's fine for your, uh, for, your, for, your, for your Mattel inside toy computers. All right, so <laughs> let's keep talking about Canonical. Um this is actually a phone I want, and you're going to be able to get Ubuntu Touch on it. So Mobile World Congress is going on, and Sony's got this phone called the Xperia Z1. I think this is legitimately one of the best smartphones on the market. I've never been interested in having anything with any Sony software on it, so never bothered. But I'm talking integrated fingerprint sensor into the small power button on the side, good compact design, incredible camera, incredible camera. Oh, by the way, an incredible camera. Really fast, good fast charging, decent speaker quality, incredible screen, excellent build quality, 
the Sony's are, are really, really, really good phones that nobody really talks about. They're like the best uh, non-discussed Android phones out there. And right. um, Probably because they're made by Sony. Is probably why nobody yeah. wants it. Well, nobody. I mean, even me, knowing that, I, mean, I would never buy a Sony phone because I don't want yeah. any Sony software on there at all. Uh, guess what? Canonical has heard the call of the wild, not just for the uh, Xperia Z1, but also for the OnePlus One. And I think this is super, super cool. They're going to work with communities that already exist to get images working on these devices. And Noah, do you, do you recall... Seen a lot of one plus ones at scale running Ubuntu Touch? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I I don't know if I I saw a bunch running Ubuntu Touch. I definitely saw a bunch of one plus ones, and I've seen a lot of one plus ones basically every time after June of last year. I think they've been popping up all over the place. So there's definitely there's definitely a community of of of, of Linux enthusiasts that have one plus ones. Well, I'll 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 take it a step further. Uh, I think the majority of them were running Ubuntu Touch because. Anybody that was pretty much there from Canonical was was well, not everybody, but a lot of people there from Canonical had the one plus one running Ubuntu Touch, and everybody in kind of our posse noticed it, and we were talking about it a lot, and and it didn't even click that there, we might actually see something officially announced from Canonical about working with the community. Here's why I like this. This is why I like this a lot. First of all, I can get this phone, both these phones, in the U.S., so that opens it up to a new market. That's yep. nice. Second yep. of all, I personally believe these are made of superior parts and components than some of the BQs. Okay. Uh, yes. and, and and then third, third, uh, this is a really great phone, even if Ubuntu Touch doesn't work out. Like, if I got a bail on Ubuntu Touch and yeah. want to use and go back to Android, this is yeah. great hardware. Um, yeah. So this is not a bad investment hardware-wise to begin with. And performance-wise, it's got great specs. This is an Ubuntu Touch phone that I actually would like to have. This is the first yeah. hardware I'd actually like to have, and I'm really excited about it. And, and then last but not least, what I think is great about this, Noah, is this is Canonical actually coming through on their... Yeah, uh, you know, if the community makes an image that's pretty good, we'll work with them. Because one of the things I've always asked, I've always pressed in all of the interviews is, Mm -hmm. what if somebody comes along, takes your image, and makes a better phone operating system and puts on a better piece of hardware than than you're shipping? Are you going to compete with them? What are you going to do there? And they're like, no, we'll work with them. It'd be cool. Well, guess what? Community comes along, makes a OnePlus One port, an Xperia Z1 port, and... This is over on the uh, insights.ubuntu.com blog. They're like, not only are they going to work with them, but they're announcing it at Mobile World Congress. They're announcing it here on their website. Good to go. So you, you know what? You just might see me rocking a Z1 in the near future. Oh, that'd be awesome. Here's my, here's my one. Uh, here's my. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate for a little bit. Uh, I, I, I'm glad to see that, that it's gaining some traction. And nothing would make me happier than to have an operating system I can trust on a mobile device. That said. Do you, I could, we talked in the past about how we could see, uh, you know, giving up world, you know, first class apps and that kind of thing on a tablet. Do you really think you could do that on a phone? Do you really think the operating system is going to, is going to meet your expectations for that of a phone? To be honest with you, I'd probably do what I did on the Nexus 5 and I'd dual boot for, for, for a year or so, you know, and try to do as much as I could under Ubuntu Touch. And Mm -hmm. then like, oh, I'm on a road trip and I need Waze. Then I would probably boot into Android. But okay. I think that's I think that's a workable solution. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, because you know, if nothing else, that would mean anything that I'm really seriously private about, I could do under the Ubuntu. Bingo, yeah. bingo. And as long as as long as Android doesn't have access to the file system, that would work. Yeah, yeah. and I, that that's that's been my biggest thing is I don't have anything pseudo private 
on any Android device whatsoever, and it's going to stay that way probably indefinitely. And so that's, but that that's one thing where because I don't have a, I don't have a predefined expectation of what a tablet is supposed to do. Sure, yes, yeah. Oh, tablets are much my, easier for me. Yeah. Well, except eat my money and drive me nuts. That's really all I've ever gotten out of a tablet. That's, so, but that means we, that means that that is ripe for picking. Like if they could come in and offer me something good, there, yeah, there's there's still right. room for improvement. Right. So that, that's kind of where I'm holding out. Although, you know, actually, really, if you think about it, I could get into a, you know, if they had, if the, you know, the, the one plus one, that's a pretty decent screen size. I could get into having a, an Ubuntu, very small, you know, PDA like device. And keep in mind, these might legitimately have the specs to do convergence. These could be devices that you could yeah. get in this market that actually do convergence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be willing to give that a shot. I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know where this is going, but man. I I am glad to see some good hardware. I and also they just like announced the uh, like an M4 Pro. I can't remember what they they got a new version that's shipping soon. That's a pro version of the phone, better specs. Th this this is really interesting to watch where they're going, mm -hmm. especially as it relates to the Linux desktop and convergence. Then if I was just going to get crazy and I'm just going all in, and I could combine it with something like the Mycroft project. An artificial intelligence project that would give you an artificial intelligence assistance, assistant, mm -hmm. sort of like Google Now or Siri on your mobile device, yep. that'd be pretty awesome. And what I love about what Mycroft is doing is they're working, instead of reinventing the wheel, mm -hmm. they are working with existing projects and code that are yep. just really great at doing the, a particular thing, and they're integrating yep. that with the Mycroft project. This yep. week... They've announced Mimic, which not only is very cool in principle, but could lead to like voice multi-factor authentication using your voice and things like that. The Mycroft Project has released a video and it explains what Mimic is. Mimic by Mycroft and Vocal ID. Mimic is a fast, lightweight text-to-speech engine based on Carnegie Mellon University's flight software. Mimic takes in text and reads it out loud to create the voice of Mycroft. Hi, my name's Mycroft. To improve Mimic and create an AI that sounds realistic, we are building a community of developers from all over the world. Mimic is a powerful tool that can also help solve other important problems. That is why we've partnered with Vocal ID to help Dr. Rupal Patel and her team to bring realistic voices to people with speech disorders. Vocal ID's technology allows them to create customized voices that better represent the people who use them. To use these voices, Vocal ID's clients need a fast, lightweight, cross-platform engine. This is where Mimic comes in. Vocal ID's clients can use Mimic as the engine that empowers them to speak with their own unique voice. We're going to grow Mimic to support more languages and platforms, enabling many people to have access to realistic voices for the first time. Please join us in developing Mimic by going to mycroft.ai slash Mimic. Yes, that was Popey's voice. The I was voice of Minecraft. In fact, Popey is not an AI because I've met him. <laughs> well, just, You've met him I, and he smells good. That's, yeah, those are right. things we know. Those are right. So yeah. it's called Mimic, Noah. It's called Mimic. And uh, I think it's pretty damn cool. You can use it to create custom voices, all kinds of stuff, uh, authentication, and they're integrated in with the Minecraft project. Right? How cool is this? I, uh, I, you know, you know, it's going to be, do you remember the conversation that we had with him where he said that there are certain phrases that are actually live in code that it will not respond to? Uh, I don't him. remember this conversation. What, what, what were you, some you, of the you, phrases? If you, if you tell it to open the, I think it's the pod bay door. Oh, yes. Like, yes. I do remember that. Yeah. So here's the thing. This is one step closer to that becoming a reality because now we can talk back. Right. And like, who, honestly, who hasn't seen 
Iron Man with Jarvis and wanted to control their house by talking to it and have the house talk back. <laughs> like, think about it. This, Chris, we're building the, I mean, we're not, we, uh, people are building the infrastructure for that mm. to be a th- Suspicious, very, Noah. Popey is in the chat room right now and he says, I promise I am not a bot. But if you think about it, that's exactly what a bot would say. <laughs> that is <laughs> further proof is necessary yeah yeah all right so uh, we'll keep an eye on that and see where it goes maybe ryan can join us on unplugged soon and talk more about it i want to talk real quick about microsoft and red hat making out all nasty style they're bringing red hat enterprise linux to azure sure, sure. Yeah, that's right. You can now deploy Red Hat Images. The Red Hat's Senior Director for Business Architecture and Microsoft Director of Program Management for Azure, Corey Sanders, told TechCrunch earlier this week that the two companies are also working closely together on supporting customers who choose to go to Red Hat Enterprise Linux on Azure. Red Hat and Microsoft support specialists and are actually sitting together to answer their customers' questions kumbaya style. Red Hat Enterprise Linux 6.7 and 7.2 images are now available on all Azure regions, except China and the U.S. government. <laughs> I don't know why. No, no Azure for China or U.S. government, which has been making some headlines, actually. Uh, so... You can go spin yourself up a, a, an Azure server, and you can you can actually, from the Azure dashboard, dashboard, like an animal, you can actually license Red Hat Enterprise Linux, buy a license, get subscription to the Red Hat Enterprise Network, and deploy the ISO on a Microsoft server. So a couple of things. First of all, uh, right at the bat, as much as I love uh, as much as I love Red Hat. I very rarely pay for a Red Hat license. I'm usually running some sort of some sort of uh, you know recompiled code like CentOS or Scientific Linux or whatever, because you know I, I, oftentimes I don't really need the support. And in the couple times that we have actually gone uh, to Red Hat for support, it's been through in an, in, a, in a setting like the university that had a cluster of uh, chemical engineering servers that were that were doing chemical computations, and we built the entire lab on CentOS and proved that it worked and they actually used it for almost a year and then said, well, we want support. And so then we went and relicensed and, and reinstalled with, with, with RHEL. Um, but short of situations like that, I, I, I'm not sure, especially if I'm looking at spinning things up in the cloud, I don't think I would a- ever actually want to pay for a Red Hat license. At least I can't think of anything. Bro, are you head. serious? I, I mean, Bro. I, I, off the top Bro. of my head, I can't really think uh, I can think of one thing. One okay. thing, uh, CYA, cover your arse, dude. Something happens and that S hits the wall and you don't have an answer for it. The fact that you can call 1-800-RED-HAT-SAVE-MY-BUTT and defer blame oh, the, is worth the, thousands the, of dollars, my friend. Oh, for sure. The, the, the customer support is amazing. We've, I've worked with Red Hat support. It is there's definitely not a hit on it. It's very much worth the money if you need the support. I just, I rarely find myself with my backup against the wall. Yeah. You know, in that way. And, and, and if it is, if it's some sort of yeah. like very complex uh, server, then usually it's a person that's willing to pay for Red Hat license to begin yeah. with. Yeah. And, also and, and, and tell you help. the truth, in actual practice, mm-hmm. Once or twice, I've called that 1-800 number, and in way more cases, I've actually cross-graded or side-graded Red Hat Enterprise Linux systems that were installed over to CentOS repos and, and CentOS. And I've done, I've done way more migrations from Red Hat Enterprise to CentOS than the other way. I, I mean, I guess I haven't done that, but but it, it that's definitely legitimate. I think it does underscore the fact that there's you're not getting short selled if you're using a community variants of of Red Hat by any stretch of the imagination. Now that said, and I know that the rest of this is going to come off kind of fanboyism, and that's okay. I accept that. 
I think that Red Hat is going to be a really good influence on Microsoft. And the fact that they're going to work together. really? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that, you know, the thing is, I, I don't know if you've read, um, CEO uh, of Red Hat wrote a book about how he was. Yes, I have the book. I own it. Yep. Did you? Okay. So he was in the book. He talks about how he was formerly the CEO of Delta Airlines and how he was going to come in and clean Red Hat up. He was going to show those people how to run a business because all this community driven nonsense and he was going to show them and the, the, the culture at Red Hat showed him. And, 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 it, and it totally shifted his perspective. And he talks in the book about how, how he came there and he came in with this idea of, you know, of a top-down approach and, and just you know, 180 degrees totally, uh, you know, flipped around. And I think that that's the kind of culture that Red Hat inspires in the people. And so if you get Microsoft people sitting over there, I think it's going to have a good influence on them. And I think that that kind of, that kind of passion and the, and the, and, you know, and that, that kind of excitement for open source and, and, and freedom and, you know, not locked into code and stuff like that, I think it's contagious. Um, so I think that's, I think it's going to go, I think that's going to be a really, really good thing hmm. overall. You might and the, other, the other side of that, cause they could go both ways, right? Microsoft could be a, a horrible influence on Red Hat, but I guess, and again, I admit that this is fanboyism. I trust Red Hat to the point that I'm not really worried about that. I don't really, I don't, I haven't met anyone at Red Hat that I'm worried that they're going to, they're going to jump ship and, and jump to bed with Microsoft. You know what I think, Noah, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what it is going to mean. When all is said and done, what's another cliche I could use? Um, um, in, ter- in, the, in, in the matter of the fact is, what it's going to enable is refugees where their work is a Microsoft shop and they're going to the cloud and they want to go to the Azure platform. Those folks are now going to have yet another Linux distro to choose from. And one of the fascinating freaking statistics that came out out of all of this and I want to make sure I get the number right here because I don't remember what it was exactly, but it's some outrageous number that now apparently 60% of the Azure platform, 60% of the servers deployed on Azure are running Linux. And if nothing else, we all have that feather in our cap. That's all the news for this week. I'm pretty excited to talk about the Librem 15. I have been looking forward to this day for a long time. And if you followed all of our shows since no- end of November 2014, you know this has been a topic of conversation. Frequently on Linux Unplugged, we've interviewed the founder of the Purism company, Todd, on Linux Unplugged. We've talked about this a lot on the Linux Action Show. This, this is the representation of something that Noah and I want so badly. Extremely well-built hardware available for anybody to get a great out-of-the-box Linux experience. And we've talked about it a lot on this show. There's people out there trying to solve that problem. And this is a totally new take that's directly, directly taking on the MacBook Pro. So is it possible? Could a company out of nowhere actually create a MacBook Pro killer built to run Linux? I'll give you my review. First, I want to thank our segment sponsor, Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We've got a very special discount from the, for the Linux Unplugged show. And I was like, hey, let's bring it over to Linux Action Show and see if the folks that watch the Linux Action Show can take advantage of it. And I think you really can. It is targeted right at our audience. They have over 2,332 self-paced courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. This is stuff built around Linux, about Linux, a technology stack that you could use on top of Linux for people that use Linux by people that use Linux. And that is the key differentiator. It's not a feature. It's what they do. Scenario-based labs, you can work in their advanced live live lab environments. You complete scenarios from beginning to end so you get a hands-on experience. 
Instructor mentoring is available. That's a huge deal. Graded server exercises, and this is a big one for me personally, I suck at tests. In fact, if there was one thing I would say, no, one thing you're like way better at than I am is is actually like testing under pressure. Like I didn't even bother with the Red Hat certified courses yeah. because I, I just test horribly. I, I don't know yeah. what it is. Like I, I can I can I in practice I can use I can use the skills and the yep. knowledge, but testing I just I, I fall apart. You know what? I'm the same way. I just I, I really am. I'm actually I'm not good at testing. I'm actually horrible at it. Uh, and partly because I don't always I will arrive at the same conclusion, but I won't always get there the same way, which yeah. throws me off in test because sometimes they they, they have a very on. specific path they want you to follow. But I, I have shied away from saying that too often because you never see the opposite. You never hear somebody saying like, listen, I'm dumb as rocks, man. But I can pass tests. Well, like, actually, it, somebody in the chat room right now is <laughs> somebody, the, really? somebody. Yeah, of course, the chat Dang. room, right? Yeah, yeah. Total <laughs> yeah, no, panic in the chat room. Like, I love tests. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I love tests. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you're smart, there are smart people that can pass tests, and there are smart people that can't pass tests. What there are is dumb people that can pass tests, and so it, it just. It, I feel like an idiot when I when if I come out and be like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually smart. I promise. I just I don't test very well. But <laughs> the other part of it is is sometimes. I don't understand. Sometimes I'll go about solving the same problem a different way, which also doesn't work very well yeah. for me. That's actually something yeah. I really like about Linux Academy. Yes. Because if you watch, if you go through their courses, and I can tell you this is specifically true for the Red Hat one, they show you multiple different ways to arrive at the same conclusions or multiple different ways to accomplish the same task. They say, well, you can do it like this or you can do it like that. Yeah. And that's that's different from even the certified Red Hat uh, uh, curriculum that yeah. they go out They'll yeah. show you walk you through one specific way the other thing for me that was like hard as a contractor is uh my my zone is talking about stuff that i understand and what i like to do is i like to take a complex idea and a topic and i like to understand it and then i want to just break it down into a way that's really communicable to somebody maybe not even very technologically savvy and so that was really my sort of power domain quote unquote as a consultant is i would take Mm -hmm. it really you really got to do this advanced thing and yep. here's the simple business reason why you got to do it. Yep. And uh, for me, <laughs> that meant that if I had to go do something or I had to go sell them something that I hadn't actually done, I had the confidence <laughs> and experience to know I could pick it up and I could learn yep. it and I could I could I could meet my commitments. Yep. But that didn't mean I still didn't feel like a crazy amount of anxiety personally, like very nervous, hyper aware of all the things I don't know, all of the things that might go wrong, all of the things I might need to consider, not actually knowing all the things I need to consider because I've never done it before, but just still freaking myself out enough that yep. I get a little sick to the, still my stomach, right? Sure. Uh, this is where with Linux Academy, they have the scenario-based labs. They have the real-time feedback while you're taking the courseware. Uh, it's That, to me, gives you the hands-on experience that kills that anxiety. You can Combine that with the instructor help. You combine that with the detailed notes, the practice exam, the enhanced learning plans that can adapt to your availability, the fact that they allow you to choose from seven-plus Linux distributions, they automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual machines, the fact that they have all of this stuff for Linux users, by Linux users, and they're always improving it, and that we have one of the best deals around, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring Linux Action Show. It's a great fit for our audience, and that's, that's why they're here. Okay, so um, I, I often will play clips of videos. I don't very often get to play a clip of myself, um, but it turns out when you've been doing a show for a while, uh, there is from time to time opportunity to, to do that. I want to jump in the Wayback Machine, and I'm going to take you back to, uh, oh, let me get the episode here, uh, episode 340. So we're on 405 right now. So episode 340, uh, 444 days ago, I believe, 
I announced that I had done something kind of cray-cray. And uh, I'm just going to play it for you because I think it gives you the spirit of where I was at when uh, I made this announcement. Instead of just sort of reiterating, I will go back in time and play myself. Here's the details. Yeah. Right now, they've raised $38,000 of $250,000. They have 38 days left, 15% funded, 48 pledges. I decided to back it last night. Oh, nice. Well done. Okay. Because I want to see if... So this is... So you yeah. see, this is the question. Is I believe... I really fundamentally believe in hardware that's meant to be used with Linux. Mm-hmm. And in, and I think people don't place enough value, even if you're using off-the-shelf parts. Right. If somebody is curating those parts and putting them, assembling them into something that they have tested and made to work with Linux, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. So to me, that is a very – that is value-added. And I, I want to put my money where, I, where my mouth is and see if people building machines like this truly makes a difference. The specs – you know, I put an SSD in there, and I up to 8 gigs of RAM, which is the max. Yeah. Um, but, you know, specs-wise, I'll probably use it for a little while and then give it to my son right. uh, if they ship. And I figure if they do ship, we'll have a review unit here on the Linux Action Show, and we can tell you if it's really, truly, you know, the perfect Linux laptop. It's Well... They did ship. They did ship indeed. Here we are. And no, I think I still kind of uh, I align with those things. I, I love the idea of mm-hmm. Linux purpose-built hardware. Like when they go to the yep. drawing board, it's for Linux. Not just, yep. not just hey, we make this really great Windows laptop that could also run Linux. The, but, the, the difference is a computer manufacturer that makes a computer that can run Linux or a Linux enthusiast that wants to make a computer. And that, right. that, how you set that up affects very drastically what you come out with with the final product. So for those of you who have not been following for 445 days exactly what's going on, I'm going to play a little bit earlier clip from that show that just sort of sets up what the Librem is just for a moment because <clears throat> you can hear, I think, maybe when you listen, you might hear a slight amount of skepticism in my voice. But you can also sort of capture the moment of where we were at and why we wanted something like this. So I think it's kind of relevant before we talk about the machine. Uh, all right. God. So while we're on the uh, topic of crowdfunding, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. It's a, it's a laptop okay. that promises to respect your essential freedoms. It's called the Purism, the company behind it, hmm. and they're launching the laptop called Librem. It's a 15-inch, nearly free of proprietary code laptop. Here's the design of it. Oh, wow. It's it echoes fair. back to a MacBook Pro with a large trackpad, all-metal <laughs> case. good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it starts at different price ranges. Uh, Purism is launching this on Crowd Supply. The idea is it's going to give you a laptop where you don't have to run any proprietary hmm. drivers, no binary blobs in your distro. It's based on an Intel i7-4712MQ processor, 15.6-inch screen, 4 gigabytes of RAM, and a 4 gigabyte spinning hard drive, although you can tweak these things, uh, three right. USB 3.0 ports, HDMI out, uh, an expansion uh, SD card slot, and a pop-down RJ45 gigabit adapter, as well as wow. a Theros-based 802.11n Wi-Fi, 720p webcam, HD audio, and a backlit keyboard. <laughs> and it will be coming preloaded with Trisco Linux. Trisco Linux, which actually <clears throat> it actually shipped with Pure OS or Purism OS. Um, I go on and I go on to talk about how uh, it doesn't actually totally respect your freedoms because it ships with an NVIDIA GPU. So, uh, and I also talked about how the NVIDIA GPU was critical to my purchasing choice. Yeah, go ahead. Can we stop here for a second and just talk about, you know, we've had, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the air. I know we've talked about it off the air, though. Right from the get-go, I had some concerns about how they were marketing that computer because the people that are very – and I'm stealing this from you. This is not my thought. But the, the, the people that are very, very, very conscious about making sure that everything in the entire laptop is free from the, from the, from the BIOS all the way up to the operating system, stuff like that, those are not the kind of people that are worried about the super high-end hardware. They're perfectly – most of them are content at least on 10-year-old 
you know, 10 year old think repurposed think pads and anything better than that is, is, you know, is, is a, is a brand new machine to them. And then you have another group of extremists, which is kind of, I think, where you and I fall in, which is we want native support on Linux, but on extremely high hardware, and we're willing to pay for that if it exists. And it seems like yeah. they try to make a really expensive high-end hardware, and the yeah. market is people that wanted totally free code, but then they didn't even really quite meet the totally free right. code. Part. So, and it's something I've talked about before, people who want a truly free machine are willing to buy <clears throat> a ThinkPad that runs uh, Core Duo processors. Right. Uh, yeah. And people who want a MacBook don't really give a shit about what the BIOS is. And that's right. why uh, I specifically stay. In fact, I kind of, watching it back, went into a bit of a rant about sure. how important the NVIDIA GPU was. And I didn't give a shit that I, because my yeah. machine is a tool and I want to run video games on my tool from time to time. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I talked about how I did. I felt it was a complete mismatch. However, they, they, they stuck to that so much so that they did Triscoll-based Pure OS. <clears throat> which uses Cinnamon and includes some improved drivers for the basic hardware of the Librem. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, but basically, it, it improves the trackpad. And they ship it now with uh, PureOS, and they make the ISO available for download. And it's a good Cinnamon implementation. It's pretty solid. So they did eventually end up raising for the Librem 15 $584,000. They had a goal of $250,000. I funded, I funded something called the Early Bird, and the early bird uh, was for people who wanted to get it right away. And so um, when I funded my Librem 15, I was promised a core, a four-core, eight threads total, i7 processor with an Intel 4600 uh, GPU and an NVIDIA GT 840M graphics processor. I also upgraded it to a 500-gigabyte SSD and eight gigabytes of RAM. I made that order on November 22nd, 2014. My total cost was $1,824 for the Ultimate Linux laptop with a dedicated Infinity Graphics, a quad-core processor, a four, or a, I'm sorry, a 500-gigabyte SSD, cheaper than a MacBook might be, really. Uh, crowdfunding it completed and was expected to ship on April 2015. It actually shipped on February 10th, 2016. And here's where things started to go a little awry. So it shipped about 300 days later than expected. Not horrible. 445 days from when I backed it. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing about that is in that time frame, there has been three generations of Intel processors. Now, this shipped with uh, Haswell. Mm-hmm. Skylake is the current generation as of this recording. So if I were to buy an $1,800 laptop last week, I would get Skylake. Mm-hmm. I got Haswell. Better than Broadwell. So instead of getting the 4600, I got an Iris like 6200 uh, GPU. A pretty decent upgrade. But the first knock is instead of getting a four-core processor, I got a two-core processor with hyper-threading. So instead of getting eight cores total, I get four cores. Not a big deal, but I did specifically want eight cores. Probably for me, uh, the biggest disadvantage is I didn't get that NVIDIA GPU. So not getting that NVIDIA GPU mm-hmm. was, was pretty, pretty limiting. means I have to use the built-in Intel Iris. So that's kind of a bummer. I wouldn't have bought it if, if that was the case. In fact, I even state that in that episode, that the only reason I'm really... The, the thing that pushed me over the edge yeah. was the, yeah. 
was the NVIDIA, yeah. yeah. Because because I want to be able to play games from time to time. And the, and, and the, honestly, the open source NVIDIA driver is getting better and better. <clears throat> the other major change from when I bought it versus what I got, besides the ship date and the processor, is it doesn't include an Ethernet port. Oh, no. That, yeah. See that right there? That would rule the laptop out for me. It's I, got, I, couldn't, I can't get work done without an Ethernet port. Yeah, well, I can't either, actually. I, 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 I quite honestly, my, my, the, the, work, the data set that I work with is too large. I yeah. have to have an Ethernet port. So right now I have it hooked up over Ethernet. What I did is there was something else included with the Librem that it wasn't originally on the spec. <coughs> USB-C is on there. Right here. I got a USB-C port. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's probably the justification then. Yeah. So well, I, got, uh, I got this guy here. Uh, I, got a, I got an Anker, A-N-K-E-R, USB-C, Ethernet adapter. It's a gigabit Ethernet adapter, and it has a three-port USB hub built into it. Okay. So I got a three-port USB hub. So now I got, uh, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five. I got six USB ports total now. 3.0 USB ports. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I was able to work around the Ethernet thing, but I had to. And that was – so two yeah. things. Just just in full disclaimer, I would not have bought this laptop if I knew it was going to come without an, an NVIDIA GPU. I would not have bought it. And Ethernet. Those are two deal breakers for me. I need dedicated yeah. graphics and I need a dedicated GPU just because of the type of work I do. So that yeah. was sort of a bummer. The Ethernet adapter – Though, over USB-C, I'm not using USB-C for anything else. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, you know what? If, I, if this was actually a MacBook, I'd have to have some stupid external dongle, too. So, okay, whatever. And it's got a decent Wi-Fi. It's got a Theros. It works great out of the box. The Wi-Fi mm-hmm. connects every time. It's been a super solid Wi-Fi adapter. So that works. No special crap has to be loaded. That just works. <clears throat> but those of you that have been listening to Linux Unplugged... You know there was another major issue that I ran into. A big deal breaker. Surprisingly the biggest deal breaker that I didn't expect. I did not see this one coming at all. And that was the mother effing fan. The fan is unbearably loud. So if if you took a laptop and you maxed out the fan noise that you've ever heard, like just totally full blast, that's what it was from the moment you turned on the laptop. The fan didn't have the appropriate, I guess, firmware or whatever, because maybe it's not open source, from the ODM to properly turn the fan down. So it just ran full blast all the time. Maximum fan mode. So loud I couldn't use it on air. Can't it's just not even possible. So I I did the only thing reasonable. I took his pants off. I took the bottom of the laptop off and I began to investigate. Now I, I wanted to I want to point out before I got this far. I tried everything. I tried Ubuntu 16.04, the beta. I, I tried 15.10. I, of course, it had pure OS. By suggestion of the chat room, by God, I even tried Windows 10. And I, I thought, if I, I thought, Noah, if I have to come on the air and I have to say that the Librem 15 is a nice laptop, but you have to install Windows 10 to make it usable, I thought, this is going to be devastating. And so as I'm installing Windows 10... I'm like, I'm praying to the computer gods, please don't fix the fan problem. And so, like, the installer boots up off the USB thumb drive, and the fan's still loud. And I'm like, okay, good, good. Okay, so so far, it hasn't done anything. So then I install the Windows 10 desktop. It boots into Windows 10 for the first time. 
the fan noise still crazy, crazy, unusably loud. I'm like, okay, good. The fan is still crazy, crazy, unusably loud. Windows didn't fix it. I install all the Windows updates. It downloads some interesting drivers, reboots. The operating system boots up. Still fan. Fan still going crazy. Windows 10 did not fix the issue. Thank God. I immediately erased the hard drive and put Antigross Linux on here. Okay. I'm feeling better. And now... I took the only reasonable course of action, Noah. The only thing left to do is I took the pants off the bottom of this laptop. I opened it right. up. And I got to say, I'm looking at the layout here. I'm pretty impressed. Uh, just uh, looking at the bottom of this laptop, I, first of all, it was about 17 screws <laughs> that I had to remove. But yeah. I could remove all them. probably torques. Uh, not so bad. Yeah, not so bad. No, no, there were tiny, tiny, tiny uh, Phillips. So- but I have an open RAM slot here, so I might be able to go for more RAM. That's real nice. Right here is the hard drive. I could easily replace the hard drive. There's the Wi-Fi chip. Easy to replace that. And then down here is the battery. And then right here in the center, right there in the center, is the fan. One fan. The only thing I had to do is pull that one fan. So I pulled out the power cord. I disconnected the power connector from the fan. Assuming, I'm hoping, kind of banking on, well, this thing does have an aluminum enclosure. Maybe that'll help distribute the heat. So right now, as I'm doing the show, I have it in low pro power mode because I, I, to, to, I've done a few things here. So once I disconnected the fan, mind you, this was my last resort. This laptop was literally unusable otherwise. It, it was so loud that if you walked into a, a huge room, say like a large living room, and this laptop was in the middle of the living room or off on a table on the side, actually. You would walk into this large room, and you would immediately hear this loud. Like, what is that? What is that loud? It was very loud. It was unusable. And, and the part of the problem is, is when you put it down on a table, that makes it even louder. It, it amplifies the sound. And so uh, what I have done is I have unplugged the CPU power fan, and I've installed uh, all of the P-State kernel stuff to, to manage my, my power states. Combining that with a GNOME extension, I can manually choose my different performance mode. So right now, I have my CPU limited to 14% maximum performance. I click high performance here, and now I have up to 3 gigahertz. It's a nice, I mean, the two cores this thing does have are super fast, over 3 gigahertz with turbo boost, right? There, I just hit 31, uh, 3.1 gigahertz right there for a second. And what I'm doing is I'm using INX to manage and monitor the temperature to keep it below a certain temperature. Now, I, I know this sounds crazy. But so far, I've actually been able to play Star Trek Online, uh, Borderlands 2, um, and Trine 3 without overheating my computer. And I did those things while sinking a huge-ass Dropbox, a ridiculously inappropriate large Dropbox, uh, installing software from the Arch user repository in the background, while also downloading Steam games. I was able to still manage to do all of that with the CPU fan disconnected. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is ridiculous. You've spent $1,800, and you have to manually modify the machine to make it usable. That is true. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that is is a true statement. However, uh, it depends on your perspective. If you look at this as like a a kit car, it's a one-off, it's a one-off kit build, right, that I'm now driving. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So basically what you're saying is we are st- – it is a stepping stone. It may not be perfect on revision one, but we have a usable device that is shipped and it has, it has, it has set in motion a, a belief system 
and a track that we'd like to see continued. And you can say that you have participated in the success of that track. And for that, uh, you know, you know, it's good. And here's one thing along those, along those lines. Here's another thought for yeah. you too. If we're going to go as far as modifying the hardware, one other thing you might consider doing instead of disconnecting the fan altogether, just throwing a resistor in, in where that fan plugs in. And hmm. you would have a fan, but just, uh, you know, maybe just have it just, just enough to get a, just a little bit of airflow. So it gets yeah. air moving through the, the case there. So one of the other things that they've done that I kind of like, and it's funny because uh, <clears throat> the purism folks themselves have, have put in our, in our comments on our very own show, this has been their statement. This is a screenshot I took from a YouTube comment that they made three months ago. The Librem is funded and shipping now. Reviews are coming in now, and they're very favorable. Yes, it is about the same retail price as a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air, but the quality and features are superior to a Mac. We invite you to check it out. To me, that's setting the bench pretty high. Benchmark is now build quality of a MacBook Pro. Yep. yep. Uh, again, how I, the fact that they've been targeting uh, freedom-seeking, uh, free, free, you know, uh, Free Software Foundation backing, Triskel using users is a mismatch with, with the product that they're delivering. Mm-hmm. They have a bit of a mismatch again here. So uh, in this picture, what I'm showing you is there are two toggle switches on the side of this laptop. They've just been cut into the side of the laptop, and then the switches are just shoved through the holes. They are nice. What these do is these are physical toggle switches to physically turn off the camera and the microphone so you always know those devices are disabled it's a hardware cutoff for the microphone and for the camera that's badass man i think every laptop should have that here's the problem that looks like shit it is a hole in the side of my laptop with some really cheap switches that could easily break off when i'm taking it in and out of a bag for over they don't break and if you never used them they look horrible looks horrible cut into the side of an aluminum laptop so when, you come in, when you're coming at it from the, we compete with the MacBook Pro in build quality, then that means everything is up for analysis. Uh, and there's a couple of things that fell, fall down. Um, right here. The ultimate Linux laptop is shipping with a Windows key. Why is that a Windows key? And the product images that I backed, it was a square. It looked like a square. It kind of actually looked exactly like the square that used to be on the iPhone home button before they got Touch ID. There's like yeah. a little square on the iPhone button. It looked exactly like that. Yeah, like a rectangle, yeah. It's a Windows button. The ultimate Linux laptop has a Windows button on it. Not a big deal, but if you're going to say you have a bit, you're better built than the MacBook, then you've got to pay attention you know, to the details I, here. You know what? I disagree. I think it is a big deal because I have people all the time. I make a very conscious effort not to refer to it as a Windows key but the super key, and that is to try to break the Kleenex branding of computers, that all computers by default, the normal com- normal computers run Windows and have a Windows key. And if you want to hack together Linux on there, then the Windows key serves other purposes. No, 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 no. I have a super key that does a, a predefined action depending on the operating system I'm running. Windows just happens to call it the Windows key. And it, we need to make that change in our in our minds first. And, and, hmm. and in our I like Colonel, Colonel Panic in the chat room says, I call it the logo key. That's not bad. He's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, okay. so can we, along just comparing it to the, the fit and finish of a MacBook, I mean, I'm getting nitpicky here because I mean, we're, we're comparing it to a MacBook. Um, you can't really tell in this picture and this isn't going to be something that affects all the laptops, but my escape key and my F1 key are almost completely recessed into the case. 
my escape key doesn't work about every other time. I have to I have to hit my escape key at a at a particular angle to actually get it to register, which is a bit of a bummer since I like to be able to quickly tap tap that to do things. Mm. So the fact that it registers every other time, kind of a nuisance. Um, that, that I'm willing to say we we should cut some slack on, if only because. No, I mean if you're going to compare are, it to a MacBook, I, I, I would that I would I, take I would take a MacBook back to Apple if my Escape and F1 keys aren't really usable. Absolutely, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't necessarily reach out to them and see if they do something about it. But uh, you know, when you have a company many, 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 many times smaller than Apple, you know, small little manufacturing defects might come you know like that. And as long as it's not yeah. a widespread, yeah. And then as the chairman has also pointed out, I mean, it's again not a huge deal for me. I don't really care. The F9 key does have an Internet Explorer logo on it. Jeez, man. <laughs> now, again, I don't – I mean, for me, not a big deal, but you're comparing it – if you're going to leave a comment on my video where I interviewed the founder and you're going to say they're shipping and they bid the MacBook in quality, then it kind of opens up the doors for me to compare it to a MacBook, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to – I don't want to belabor the point, but last but not least – I was promised a backlit keyboard. I got a backlit keyboard, Noah. And it works kind of like this. There is a light behind the keys. But the keys themselves are not translucent. So it's just black squares that get lit up. And it actually makes it harder to type in the dark because the keys aren't lit. Just just the area around the keys is lit up. And so I can't actually even see the keys. I don't need... I'm a touch typist. Not a big deal. But... It actually sort of nulls the entire point of a backlit keyboard if you just light the light behind the key and not the actual letter of the key. It doesn't actually help. So it's sort of like it has a backlit keyboard just as a as a feature on the box and not actually to make it usable. So there's that. Now, Noah, legitimately, when you and I are at a conference – we see a lot of MacBooks. I mean, it's the majority of the systems we see, right? It depends on the conference. I mean, I think if you get into some of the fests like Self, and uh, I think you see a lot of very, very few of them. In fact, they, like even the, the brochures that they hand out uh, inviting speakers to come in, make fun of people yes. that are going to bring it back. So, I mean, it depends on the conference, but certainly at the larger ones like, you know, LinuxCon and, and OSCon, it's, they're all over the place. In fact, I think we were trying to – weren't we trying to find a Linux computer at one of the conferences? And like all we yeah. could find was MacBooks, and we found like two ThinkPads, but even they were running Windows. Um, <laughs> and just uh, a, a couple other problems. Uh, you can see here in this particular picture, uh, the paint above my USB C port is chipping off. Mm-hmm. That again, I. Well, the MacBooks aren't painted, yeah. they're anodized no. aluminum. That's not a paint. I mean, it's, it's it's fair critique. I just, I think that might, I mean, there are some things that I think, like the backlit keyboard, I just, I can't even think of an excuse for that. When you come to, when you come to, you know, uh, you know, uh, slight dings in manufacturing, you know, defects or quality, then yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah, now, uh, yeah you're, right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I, you know what I do actually really like, and I, I didn't really expect it. Uh, I like the size of the trackpad quite a bit. It doesn't really work very well outside of uh, their own distro. It's missing some drivers. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like um, I under under Pure OS, I can say use two finger scrolling or just use the side. Uh-huh. And I have I have some I have some ability to say don't don't take input when I'm typing. Under every other distro, I can only scroll on the side, like from a '90s laptop, and um, 
it just goes crazy when you're typing. Like if you just hover over it, it's registering as clicks all over the screen sometimes. Huh. So I, I, I suspect that will be improved. So I'm not so worried about that. But I do love the size of it. It's a good size trackpad. Mm-hmm. It's got that one click you push down. Uh, that's nice. Uh, it's got a SD MMC card slot. It has a headphone jack. It has a three USB 3 ports. It has a HDMI out port. It has USB-C, like I mentioned earlier. It has physical toggle switches for some of these things. And it has a numeric 10 key. It's got a 10 key, which I actually really, really like. And now I'm going to get into the pros. It actually feels really damn good in the hand. It's not a unibody. The back mm-hmm. bottom is screwed on. That's why I was able to fix the fan issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it legitimately feels great in the hand. It feels good to hold. It feels well built. And when it's plugged in, it feels pretty damn responsive. Even after I've disabled uh, the CPU fan, I've been able to push it pretty well. Uh, I do have to watch things like uh, during... Um, the segment break, I had Firefox taking up 100% of my CPU, and it was, it, it, you know, I think I got the system up to like 205 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so you could basically boil water on my CPU because Firefox went crazy. Um, and I'm sure that it would void the warranty if this thing had a warranty. Uh, I, I though, and I think this is kind of a pro, I kind of look at this as like a, like a kit car, and it's, it's pretty unique. It's a, it's a one it's a one off unique Linux laptop that that really nobody else has and so I want to just take a moment and tell you about the things that work well. Um, it's well built compared to pretty much every other PC laptop like Lenovo's or pretty much anything you'd find in the store. In terms of picking it up and feeling solid, it's it's just as competitive as anything else. When you have it plugged in and you're not really worrying about like you know speed profiles and stuff like that, this thing. Two cores be damned, screams. 500 gigabyte SSD, it's not a pro, but 500 gigabyte SSD, it's great, it's fast. Uh, the LG screen feels and looks high-end. It definitely has uh, some off-axis viewing issues that uh, a MacBook Pro does not have. It's not IPS. It's not an IPS display. But as far as non-IPS displays goes, it's damn good, non-glossy, 1080p, really sharp. Uh, having USB-C is kind of cool, and it looks like, based on the side thing, it might even be able to charge over USB-C. I haven't tried that myself. Looks kind of neat. And, and, and last but not least, one of the number one features the Librem 15 offers me that's really important in a laptop. Oh, oh, I'm moving the audio interface. You can hear me moving it around. It's genuinely easy to nuke and pave. I can pretty much load any distro on this thing and have no issues. Everything works out of the box. Yeah, it's Intel graphics. I... I remain very disappointed with Intel graphics. I I thought I, I honestly thought the reason why Intel graphics suck so bad is because I was on a high DPI 4K display on my XPS 13. I thought, well, I can't I can't play any games because I got a I got an integrated GPU trying to go to 4K. Of course, that's going to run like shit. Turns out uh, you run it on 1080p, stuff still just crap. Uh, you know, I got like Borderlands cranked way down. Stow barely plays. It's it's totally unfortunate. And QuickSync helps with some GPU encoding stuff, but not much supports it right now under Linux. So definite definite downside there. But that also means I get a little bit better battery than I expected. Uh, in my testing, without, really, uh, uh, without a lot of uh, battery management, say I, I turn the screen down to about 80%, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are on, um, p- performance profile is 
not like super high, but like, you know, I'm still, I'm still getting good performance out of the computer. I'm getting four and a half hours of battery life out of this thing. Four and a half hours of solid battery life. Um, and, and I don't mean like four and a half hours of it just sitting there doing nothing. I mean, I'm actually getting consistent 60 frames per second from the GPU. I'm installing software in the background. I'm installing Steam games. I'm doing system updates. And while doing all of that, I had GLX gears running. And I had it running in a box. I would get a consistent 60 frames per second. So that way I could continue to push the GPU the entire time to burn battery. Because uh, everything I use is hardware accelerated. I'm either editing video, encoding video, or using Chrome, which uses hardware acceleration for video. Um, So I wanted to test the GPU. And with pushing the GPU, I was able to get four and a half battery life. At four and a half hours of battery life, I don't have, like, laptop power mode. I don't have any special. I just have the Intel P-State stuff installed. And I'm I'm doing, like, a little bit of battery management there. But that's it. And I'm, and I'm pushing the GPU four and a half hours. Four and a half hours of battery life. I have a one-off special computer that almost nobody else has. It runs Linux fairly well. I mean, it runs Linux great. It just doesn't do it as well as I want because it, it doesn't have RJ45 jack or NVIDIA. But it runs Linux well. Pretty much any distro I want out of the box works great. Battery life is acceptable. The build quality feels good. I mean, overall, pretty nice computer. It just... It totally falls short in the fact that now I'm totally paranoid about the thermals of the thing because I've disconnected the fan because it's literally unusable. And the very fact that they were willing to ship it like that, I mean, the balls, the, 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 the balls to say that it, it is more competitive than a MacBook and then to have it shipped with the fan blasting 100 percent, it just it definitely doesn't quite nail the spirit of what I was funding. I wanted it. The GPU was a big deal for me. They didn't deliver on that. They got lots of reasons, lots of justifications. But like I said, in that episode of Linux Action Show, that was a huge selling point for me. So here I am to say, I think I feel a little burned. I, I feel like I wanted to support an initiative here. And I wanted to make a statement and say, this is something that there is an audience for and that people demand. And, and Noah and I have said, we go, to these, we go to these conferences, we see all these MacBooks. If there was something like the MacBook available for Linux users, it would be really great. And I wanted to test it. And I think I got a pretty good machine. I just I didn't end up with a computer that I would actually buy today. I wouldn't buy this computer brand new. Um, I would buy ones very similar to it. But I have a very different use case for a computer with all Intel graphics than I do. For a computer with a 15.6-inch screen, I want Ethernet. I want dedicated graphics. I, I, for something that's more portable, that's not where my requirements are. But for my actual work machine, yeah. that's a pretty high requirement. Um, but now that I have it, I mean, I don't know. It's it. It feels overall like it's worth keeping. Do you know what I mean? Like now that I have it, it feels like it's it's worth having. Yeah, I mean, the, the keyboard experience I mean, overall is pretty good, with the exception of the Escape and F one key. The screen yeah. is is pretty good. The performance is great. Um, USB-C is fun to play with. It's got HDMI out, HDMI out. It's 1080p, which is what I need for production purposes here for, for shows. Yeah, if you can use it without it overheating. Um, you know, so uh, a couple things come to mind. You know, the, the, the first is, um, you know, I, I just reiterate one last time, is even if, it does, even if they don't get it on a one-off, it is, it's definitely a track worth following, and it's definitely something I think that we all want to support to see it get better because – you know, they might not get it on, on the first try, but if, if, if nobody bought the laptop, it would have never gotten off the ground. Now they can go back and, you know, they can take this, they can watch this episode 
they can take your critiques and go back to the drawing board and see if revision two, we can fix some of those problems. And that's how you get a finely polished product is you get something out, you find out what people don't like about it. And, and to some degree, Chris, you know, you are a very, very detail-oriented person to, to, to a degree that I have not experienced before. And there are plenty of times that I have found other laptops. And, and when I compare them, I'll give you a perfect example. When we went to one of the conferences, I physically touched and held and played with a Librem laptop, right? And at that time, I would not have told you there was a significant difference between a MacBook Pro and, and that the computer. And I, I was this is standing at a place where I had plenty of examples of MacBook Pros. And I could touch and play with it. And it takes somebody like you to actually put it in your hands and try it and play with it and, and basically beat on the thing until you find where the breaking points are. And then they go back and, and then we fix that stuff. So I think it's important to keep, you know, that, that perspective in it. And, and so I am glad that if you do decide to keep it, I am glad that you end up keeping it. And I, I hope that they take the profits that they've made off of that, that first revision and continue down the path of making a really premium quality laptop for other users. Now that said, I got to ask you a couple questions. And I guess my first is, and I think I kind of know the answer. If your mother or your grandmother or your sister or your brother was looking for a laptop and they said, hey, Chris, I'm looking for a really nice laptop and I don't have a ton of requirements. I watch a couple movies on YouTube. I check my email, um, maybe do a, a little light gaming or maybe a little light video editing or photo editing. Uh, you know, would you be comfortable sending them down the Libram path? No. And, you know, uh, when the Libram came on the scene, I kind of tried to watch for uh, signs from System76 like – what do you guys think about this? Because this is kind of yeah. barking up your tree here, yeah, and they're yeah. kind of coming here saying they can do something you can't do. Um, and I think what, I, what I'm walking away with is it's way harder to do this than it seems like as people who are like, well, I know how computers work, I know how Linux works, and I kind of have an idea of what would be a good product. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't translate to actually shipping a product that works. And so, what I right. think about it when I think about it in that perspective, when I think System seventy six has been around for ten years, these guys have been around for four hundred and forty five days. Um, yeah. Pretty amazing how close they got for a first attempt. Like, yeah. legitimately, right. you got to give it to them. Like, it, yeah. it, there's a lot of there's a lot of, but they went from from not having a company to forming a company and actually delivering a product that got damn close. Just yeah. missed on some really important key points. Uh, and I got to think if they could actually survive by the third iteration, they'd probably have something here. Yeah, um, for sure. The issue is, I spent eighteen hundred dollars for a prototype. That's what exactly. you get when you crowdfund exactly. something, right? Exactly. Exactly. Now, if if they called it a prototype. I don't think any of your criticism would be valid. I think that is, I think if you, even if you compared it to a MacBook Pro, I think as a prototype, I think that's excellent because obviously in a final revision, you would fix those switches. In a final revision, you would fix the keyboard issue. In a final revision, you would fix the fan issues that, you know, that little kind of stuff you can mark out. But when you're saying this is, this is V1, this is the, this is the product. I got to tell you as a person, and I, you can't say I walked into it with a poor heart. You watch me. I would have thrown down the money for that 13 inch had he been selling it right there at the conference. I was so sold on, on the computer. So I, I very much came into this, you know, with, with, with a positive attitude, but I can't say after listening to your experiences, I have my same optimism. Uh, as being pointed out in the chat room too, I was also told I'd have core boot uh, for my bios, which I did not get. And I'm not oh, really, really I'm not really concerned about that. That wasn't uh, a huge thing for me, but uh, I could see how some people see again going if you're going for sort of the for the Triscoll crowd yeah. and and whatnot. I could see how that is a big issue not to deliver on that. 
And I could see why maybe if you're going for that crowd, it really feels like it was a mixed product. Because if you were going to yes. go for that crowd to begin with, the free, the free Software Foundation crowd, the people who are willing to buy a Core 2 Duo laptop so that way yep. they can have everything, no binary blobs, uh, then then why did you ever even consider NVIDIA to begin with? And I could see them using that as a justification to drop the NVIDIA, but it just always seemed mismatched. That said, I'm going to continue to test it, give you guys some feedback, maybe do some comparison to some other laptops on the market that are sort of in the same arena for competition and see uh, really uh, what it's like without having the fan hooked up and how long I can go. Like, maybe it's going to be just fine. Uh, I've, I, to their credit, the Purism folks have tweeted me. They've offered to uh, uh, connect me with a technical lead to maybe troubleshoot the fan issues from what I've observed from somebody else who got their Librem 15 in our community. They've also okay, had so fan issues. It's not expected behavior then. I think it is because other people are reporting it too. Yeah. I, 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 think it's, I think it came down to... At some point, they decided we're really go- we're really going to adhere to this. We're really going to adhere to this uh, free software mentality, no binary blobs, and so they, maybe they didn't get to the point that it doesn't make the computer work. That I don't know. I just I yeah. 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 Either way, either way, uh, I, I would say it's it's sort of a mixed bag, and this is sort of the lesson learned from crowdfunding something like this. But at the end of the day, I've got I've got something that's kind of unique, and I'll, I'll try to bring it to Linux Fest. And if you guys want to get hands on with it at Linux Fest Northwest, I'll have it there at the booth. You can experience the Librem. We'll have Noah try it, see what he thinks, and I'll keep you guys updated. That is the Linux Action Show's look at the Librem Fifteen. brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we got to get out of here, I got to give a shout out over to the folks at System76 in business for a decade making machines born to run Linux and they're doing it right. <laughs> you want a great out of the box experience? Check out system76.com. Everything from the little itsy bitsy witsy meerkat all the way up to the Silverback Workstation. They also have a bunch of great laptops as well. Like my Bonobos, I got two of them in studio. The Oryx Pro, an ultimate desktop killer. And the Lemur, a sub-thousand dollar ultra-portable. Go check them out, system76.com. And if you want a workhorse for media production, I can give a personal recommendation for the Bonobos. I got two of them in studio. System76 creates machines designed to run Linux well. So that way you don't have to fight with things like fans or not having an Ethernet port or just drivers not working. You just get a System76 rig. You stop fighting with your hardware and you get to play with your Linux. Check them out at system76.com. Um, I would recommend it. Hello, you called in the Linux Action Show. Who are we talking to? This is Douglas Codes. Hello, Douglas Codes. It's good to hear from you. How What's you? on your mind? Uh, I just calling him. Long time listener, first time caller. Love it, love it. And uh, and have you been watching for at least four hundred and forty five days? No, I have not. I probably watched for about a year and a half, two years. Now, okay, so you're close. <laughs> right. So you haven't been here for the yeah. entire saga, but you've been here for some of the Libram saga. I, the Librem saga is very entertaining, and uh, I have been enjoying it. Uh, sorry to hear that uh, it wasn't everything we all hoped it was. It's okay. I mean, you know, it's, it's, at the end of the day, I got a When you have technology that changes every two years, yeah. uh, to have something that takes a year and a half to ship uh, is probably not the best way to go. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But uh, well, I'm actually Doug, looking to yeah. see if I can convince my boss to buy me the Oryx Pro. Well, there you go. There you go. Good thinking. Well, Douglas, thank you that for calling you in. It was, it was good to hear from you. All right. All right so let's see. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thank you, sir. Okay, Noah, what do you say I take the first email on right. this week's feedback? It comes in here, let's say Hard. His name is Hard. I like the last couple of episodes where you installed some hardware, or some software, I'm sorry, that is hard to install. You may notice someone in the chat room said, this is turning into an episode of BSD Now. 
And I agree. Every now and then, that's nice in between interviews and reviews. Would you try to do a production-grade install? I know it's a lot of work, and most of the time, Docker images are provided. Uh, but he goes in to say, it'd actually be kind of interesting to see what you have to do to make something production-ready. How the hell can we do that, Noah, and not make it crazy-ass boring? Um. I think we'd have to do. I think we'd have to do. You know, pre-recorded segments essentially, um, and we, it's something we could definitely work on. It's just that um, you know it, it takes a little bit of planning, and, and I think that yeah. you know if you watched last week's episode, you'd have to watch it live because a lot of the other stuff gets cut out. But you run into a lot of problems, and they're problems that you know last week was was a bit different because I I had an inordinate amount of time stuck behind my computer because just had a baby and i couldn't leave the house but ordinarily i'm out doing you know work because i have a full-time job and you have other shows to do so to, to do a segment like that would it requires yeah. a significant amount of time on our end to, to actually make it happen we'll definitely make it it's good. we've done actually a couple of them we have and the reason that i included the email is is because email like that is really what drives the show because when we find time or when i find you know when i when, when i find the say you know i really want to do more for the show how can i do it that's the those are the kind of pieces of feedback we look at to say okay that's what the viewers want is they want to do stuff like that when you just write in emails and complain about stuff then that doesn't really fix anything yeah so yeah really appreciate that um you want to take kyle's email about becoming a sysadmin yeah for sure so Kyle writes in and he says, I'm interested in becoming a system administrator, but every job posting I find requires a degree or years of experience. Where should I look to get some experience related into the field? I'm joining Linux Academy today and I'm working towards a cert. Well, first off, Kyle, I would say a couple of things. Uh, you're headed down the right direction with Linux Academy for actually getting some hands-on experience. Now, when it comes to looking for a job, do not sit on monster.com and click through all of the applications and think that is you are actively searching for a job. You are not. That will not work. Most jobs in this country are had by somebody you know, a connection to get your name in the door. There is, a, there is an organization I'm aware of. They receive 10,000 job applications in a given year. They hired 137 people back in 2015. If you want to get to the top of that list, the only way that's going to happen, your job application, you fill out one online, you just send it in, it's going to get lost. So you need to take active steps you know, to, uh, to try to demonstrate to, value. And one of those things that, that I find is, you know, talk about uh, demonstrating value is if you have some of those skills, if you go into Linux Academy, maybe you don't have the requisite job experience, but here's something that you might try. It's a little off the wall. It's, it's a little bit crazy, but it's worked for me in a couple different situations. You might, and again, it's a little crazy, might consider going to a place that you really want to work, walking in saying, I need to talk to the general manager. I want to have a conversation, sit down with them and say, listen, you know what? I want to come work for you. I can bring more value to your company than it will cost you to pay me. And I'm so confident of that. I want to come work for you for free for a couple of days, maybe a week. And by the end of that week, I will make myself so valuable, you will not be able to send me out the door. You won't be able to get rid of me because I will be so valuable so to you. So I, 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 I think that probably sounds crazy to some people. And I want to stop mm-hmm. right there and say uh, – I think this is absolutely the way to go. And uh, as somebody who runs a small business, I, there's just no way I'm going to hire anybody that's not a proven value to add to my company. And yeah. if you look at the opportunity in your small town for mm-hmm. people that need a website or uh, something online or mm-hmm. they need their social media Facebook crap done for – like there's so many little tiny things that mm-hmm. you could do for small businesses where you're actually capable of going in and talking to the person that runs the business right there in their shop that right. – <clears throat> very quickly build out a living resume that then make it easier to leapfrog to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
uh, if if you want to build experience, don't shoot for the huge enterprises where they're going to expect right. this huge amount of uh, of, of uh, prerequisites. Shoot for the small businesses that where every single person makes a difference, and you have an opportunity to go in there and be valuable and mm-hmm. be humble and be willing yeah. to. Be, uh, I, this, I, I get a lot of pushback on Coda Radio when I say this, so I, I don't know exactly how to say it without getting more crap here on the show, but <clears throat> if you are willing to look at the experience that you gain and the resume building uh, credentials that you gain during that and consider that to be an exchange of, of value, absolutely, then you can absolutely. get pretty far because as a business owner, there is literally nothing I do that is scarier and more expensive and riskier than hiring a new employee. Got it. That isn't the true words right? have never been spoken. Oh yeah, we spe- we actually we did a PNL in the past couple of years to look at ex- to track exactly what the cost is. It was by far in 2014 and 2015 was the, our largest expense was training employees and of those employees that we 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 looked at the the correlation between that of how many people actually stay with us for greater than uh, you know greater than a couple of years and that really shows us a return on investment it's it's abysmal it's horrible so it, it is a huge expense and if you can it, and the other thing is you have to have a certain amount of work ethic that's the number one thing i look for today when when i go to hire somebody the number one thing that stands out to me is if somebody has you know, has ethics and, and has a really good moral compass behind them, you know, and they, they aren't, they aren't just showing up for a job to collect their paycheck. They actually want to make a difference. They want to matter and they want to do work that matters, stuff like that. Those are the kind of people that I'm interested in hiring. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. if you, if you approach everything like that and it's, you know, in what you were talking about with small businesses, you could go to a restaurant and buy a Unify access point for $69 off of Amazon, set up for $6 a month on DigitalOcean, a cloud controller, go into a restaurant and say, listen, you don't have decent Wi-Fi. You can use a Wi-Fi analyzer. It'll tell you what the brand is. You'll find that most restaurants, most uh, a lot of places will just have like the little neck gear stuff. You go in there and say, hey, look, I did a port scan and I found all of look, look at this on my phone just it shows me all these devices that are showing up here because this isn't set up correctly i'll tell you what for a hundred bucks i'll come in and i'll install this this uh, you know this little access point and you try it and if it works really well all the only thing i'm asking because i'm giving it to you for such a great deal the only thing i ask is you poke a couple of the other restaurant owners that i know you're you probably know and and let them know that i'm the guy in town that, that'll come do this for you and you start doing little things like that and 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 talking and improving your worth and if you'll yeah, do man. that you'll show up at a time yep. you'll do a good job and you'll yep. charge and then all of that uh, builds you legitimacy and experience mm-hmm. to then get that system administration's job that's that nice, cushy uh, nine-to-five you want. Uh, right. So Corey W. writes in with our last email. He says, I'm looking for, at two routers, and I can't decide which one, but it's due to the different operating systems. What is Libre CMC and OpenWRT? I know that they're like Ubuntu and a Fedora, kind of essentially, but I don't understand which is the point of one over the other. Probably everybody in the audience knows uh, OpenWRT, an alternative firmware for routers that uh, is free and open. But LibreCMC, which is a Libre-embedded Linux distro. Have you heard of LibreCMC before, Noah? I have. It's basically a more – my understanding of it anyway, and I'm not – I'm by no means an expert when it comes to router firmware. But my understanding is that LibreCMC is a more free, freedom-respecting firmware for your router. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's the, the, the firmware that's used in the, uh, in the um, uh, Penguin routers, Penguin 
Free Penguin, whatever. The, hmm. the, we interviewed oh, them. Oh, like, oh, 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 yeah. What are those guys? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. You know Freedom talking Penguin. About? Uh, not Freedom Penguin. That's Matt's thing. Uh, the Penguin computing routers. Yeah. Well, you can go back and look at the at the Southeast uh, Linux. Think Penguin. Fest. Think Penguin. Think Penguin. Think Penguin. Penguin. So I, I'm pretty sure that's what they use on their routers. But it basically comes down to: Would you rather have a more widely accepted firmware, OpenWRT, or would you rather have a more freedom respecting firmware? Uh, is OpenWRT it's, still being really actively maintained? It is, right? God, I have to think so because the yeah. folks at Scale did their whole. Yeah, I know. I know DDW. WRT, not so Well, much. Open WRT is the spinoff from yes. DDWRT that's more open, right? Yes, well, I mean, and more maintained. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I would imagine either way, heads and above, way better than the, than the factory-installed firmware on oh, any of either, these piece-of-crap yeah. routers yep. that are riddled with security issues a year mm-hmm. after they've been on the market, oftentimes three months after they've been on the market. Mm-hmm. They are devastatingly insecure. And uh, a, a complete and utter incompetence on the part of the manufacturers and yep. literally putting the privacy and security of people all around the world at risk. So replacing those firmwares with Libre CMC or OpenWRT or I don't care what, even PFSense is way better. And you're getting lost in the weeds when you're you're kind of already on the right track. And I wouldn't be surprised if one, if you can run one, you probably should be able to run the other, I would think, too. Yeah. Yeah, just don't get don't don't get what we call paralysis ah. of the net. Producer Rod about- Corpse clarifies latest release of OpenWRT was just five months ago. So there we go, still alive and well, which is good, which is good. Uh, and real quick, you love those uh, 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 microtechs that have the yeah. built-in Wi-Fi, so that's yep. another way to go too. Uh, hey, did you know we do this show live on a Sunday at noon p- at noon Pacific PM? Holy crap! You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and you can get that converted to your local time zone. You hang out with us live. You get way, 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 way more show. Lots of stuff we do live. Plus, we take calls. We took calls today. We take calls just about every episode now. And if you participate live, you can call into the big show and tell us what's on your mind from anything we've talked about before. Did you know you can also submit content and contribute to the show and give us your feedback and influence the direction? By going to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Holy smokes! Holy smokes. This is true. But I got a secret for you. Dirty secret. Linux Fest Northwest, just around the corner. And we're planning to have two live days there. And we would love to have you join us. Go to linuxfestnorthwest.org. I think that's the website to check out details. Consider coming. I'm going to bring Lady Jupes. Have it hopefully parked in the parking lot. Haven't told them yet, although I've said a couple times on air, so they better get the message. <laughs> but, I mean, come on. Come on. they got a big parking lot. Huh? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they know, right? I mean, sure. Uh, I'll email them right now. And uh, I would love to have you guys there. It's going to be a great show. Linux Fest Northwest is one of the best Linux events in the world, and it's right here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. That's also another way you can come hang out with us. Noah, people got to check you out on Twitter. There's some Twitter handle you have. At Kernel Linux, I haven't been as active as, as I would like to be. I try to take pictures of funny things I see in the field as, as I'm going about. And it's not that those things haven't come up. It's just that I've been in kind of a time rush to get back home lately. And so haven't had a whole lot of time to document them. But I am taking pictures of them. And so uh, <laughs> I, I have like my my my, uh, my, my spank bank of, of horrible things I see in the field, so to speak. And, hmm. I, and I'll I like it put those out. for yeah. some reason. Okay, you can follow me at Chris LS, S-L-A-S. That's like the Linux Action Show. Uh, you can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Can't stop the signal at jupiter signal you know we got like uh, episode releases news and stuff like that probably pretty handy when linux fest comes around too so check those out but really we'd love to have you join us live that's a lot of fun but last but not least you can always get the download version available on demand with an rss feed it's brand new stuff go check it out all right everybody thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the linux action show and we'll see you right back here next week
really how mad I am at this. What's the matter? What's the matter, this baby? Is, this is as bad as Windows. <laughs> oh, I it, this thing freezes up now on me once every two three days, and like I've gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, I should probably just blow away the OS and reinstall, and then it dawns on me. That was the entire reason I wanted to go away from Windows is to get away from doing that. Yeah, and now, like, you know, I just tried to take a screen cap. I push the print screen button and my whole freaking desktop is frozen up. Like it's all white and, and, and frozen. So one of the reasons I've been hurting for a new laptop and why why the delay on the purism was kind of killing me is uh, my main my main arch workstation upstairs in my office. Uh, mm-hmm. It's from 2009. And I don't you know, I have I still have like a lot of stuff on on spinning discs in there. And yeah. so I, I don't know what is exactly going on. It, it feels like I'm running out of CPU and memory at the same time. And I can't really narrow it down because I always have Gedit open, Terminal open, Telegram open, and Chrome open, and usually VLC open. And so yeah. I have those five applications running, but that's it. Well, and background things like Dropbox and Sync thing and stuff like that. But uh, Your desktop freezing up? Maybe it's Telegram. Dude, it's Slack. totally – well, it's like – but it's like this all of a sudden chug, 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 chug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just totally hung. Are you using Chrome? Yes. You are. See, I've heard it's a Chrome well, I thing. Mean, I, I mean, Firefox. I have Chrome open because the stupid Hangouts thingy. So I'm wondering it. if it's a Chrome thing, actually. Huh. Because it seems to it seems to be triggered like when I'm opening a bunch of tabs in Chrome or something like that. And then the whole machine, like I, I think maybe if I left it for 15 minutes, it might eventually come back. I'm not quite sure. So I end up that's, just that's uh, not a practical solution. No, I just I have to put. You know, I I legitimately am losing work because a lot of times I compose Markdown in uh, in Gedit or something like that, and then I paste I paste it into the final destination. And so it, just in that like 30 second, I'm taking something from a website. Oh, I found this link. I'm going to open that in background tab while I write this up, and then my machine locks up, and I've lost my work. I'm happy that this isn't just me. At first, I was starting to get mad at, at Ubuntu. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a piece of software I'm running. You're the only person that 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 ha, that has experience on a Mac that wants to act. That that's not true. That is not true. No, that's well, not that true. I've talked to. That I've talked to. I haven't met. You know, every one of those people at the conferences. I'll, you know, and I talked to them. I asked I, every I, single I, one. Of them, I, got, I, not one of them has ever once told me, "Yeah, I would run Linux if it was a better experience." All of them say, "Well, it works for me, and Mac OS works just fine." No, really- Mac OS Mac? is a train wreck. Mac OS <laughs> has been a train wreck for years and i'm not the only person saying that and uh, what here's here's the problem here's the fundamental problem with switching people away from mac os is it does do a lot of the things well that you needed to do if those things are a pretty standard user right selection Check of things uh and the fact that it has a, a a shitty terminal that works like crap um that you can replace if you need to uh that's a plus for it too but mm-hmm. i think anybody Anybody who uses it for a little while mm-hmm. under any kind of serious workload, there are so many problems with so many fundamental aspects of the operating system. The way it, the way like I, 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 you can't actually use it for serious work without running into issues with HFS Plus, for example. It is it's literally not possible, and it is it is a clown file system that is around that has been around from the eighties. Mm-hmm. That that makes ButterFS look like the fucking Cadillac of file systems. Coming from you, that means something. I'm, I'm not joking. I mean, it makes ButterFS look like like the the, fuck, the new coming of file systems compared to HFS. And they're shipping these five thousand dollar computers with this clown show of a file system. And yeah. and and here's an example of something you might run into. Uh, HFS only supports accessing one file at a time. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. 
Think about all the things that are going on in your operating system in the background that you didn't even ask it to do that require accessing files. Now, imagine... Imagine a scheduler and a system that has been developed for the last 20 years to compensate for this really shitty limitation where it uses your RAM and it buffers and it caches. Now, picture this, right? So, you know, you got yourself a photo library with 30,000 photos. It loads kind of slow for some reason. I'm not sure. I have a PCI SSD that's welded onto my fucking motherboard that is so fast it can do a gigabyte transfer a second. And yet, for some reason, my photo library runs kind of slow. I'm not sure what that's about. That's how you kind of notice it as like an average user. Like, hmm, I guess they're pretty big photos. I do have a lot of megapixels. You know, that's that's what average users think. But when you're actually working on large video files and you're producing content of, you know, maybe it's like a 60 gigabyte project and there's 200 assets associated with that project and you go to load that effing project, guess what? It has to touch all of those files. Now, now just imagine, just imagine you're exporting that project out and you're going out to a mezzanine file and it has to take every single one of those assets, it has to access every single segment file, and it has to render them into one cohesive file. Well, guess what you're doing? You're reading a file and you're reading hundreds of them and then you're writing to a file. Well, guess what HFS can't do? It can't access more than one file at a time, read or write, so it has to read, buffer, and then write. So just doesn't matter, you could have a Core i7 you could have two effing Xeons with 12 cores. You can have 32 gigabytes of RAM. You can have welded-on PCIe Express storage that can do over a gigabyte of transfer a second, and you can only access one file at a second. And because Apple knows this, and they've put a whole bunch of lacquer up so you don't notice it, it most of the time doesn't really affect anybody. But if you actually go to use the system to do any real-world work, you run into this limitation. And that's just one. Just one that makes macOS a completely unsuitable workstation OS. Now, if you're spending most of your, most of your time in a terminal and you're SSH'd into a Linux server where you're getting your actual work done, then you don't notice it much, as much when your $3,000 MacBook can't access more than, fi- more than one file at once. But when you're actually using it for work that actually pushes all that hard to do what it's supposed to do, you notice it. And you know what's really funny? People notice this when they install Linux on the same exact hardware. It's phenomenally faster. Michael Dominic from Coder Radio, he has an old machine that he was running macOS on for a long time. Drive pops, he decides to put a new drive in, this time goes to Linux. Holy shit, he says, this runs so much faster. I don't even need to replace this machine anymore. I can't believe how much faster this computer is. You know why? One reason, you're not using HFS. One of many reasons. Now let's talk about their GPU drivers. Apple mandates that they ship the GPU driver with Mac OS X. Well, guess what that means? Apple doesn't give a shit about your special GPU application. Apple doesn't give a shit about gaming. So they have some of the worst video drivers in the industry. Hey, you bought yourself a Mac Pro with a really nice graphics card? You can't even go more than 60 frames per second on that thing. Oh, you want to go more than that? Go screw yourself. You boot into Windows, guess what? 300 frames per second for rendering. You do it under Mac OS X, 60 frames per second capped. Because that's what the driver caps it out at. Why? Oh, they never got around to fixing it. But I hope you enjoy your $5,000 MacBook. It's please tell me, please tell me Wirecast is recording. Gabriel. Well, hello, Gabriel. Hi, Gabriel. Can, can you hear Noah, Gabriel? Noah, say something. I said the number six. Repeat the number six to me. I don't hear anything. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No. Okay, okay. Gabe, can you hear? Gabriel, can you hear? Can you hear Kyra? I'm Kyra, and this uh, is the not team the moment. I can't hear Kyra, but I was hearing the echo earlier. Hmm. So you heard the echo. So, okay, I'm going to, hold on, don't say anything. I'm going to play Kyra again. On your phone, this is the app for you. Did you hear her? Nope. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> 
I'm telling you, no, I'm telling you. Oh, well, Gabriel, what's on your mind, sir? Well, actually, I just wanted to call you guys uh, because I met both of you at scale. I was at your guys's uh, your lunch luncheon at Good Yard man. House. Good man. And um, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to you afterward, but you guys have been a huge influence in me switching over to Linux 100. percent And I just wanted to say yeah. thank you for that. Ooh, awesome! Love to hear that. Love. It. So you run on like your main machine now? Uh, actually, every one of my machines has has Linux. I have uh, three laptops: a desktop, a Raspberry Pi. Every one of them has Linux. Very nice. Very nice, sir. Very nice. Well, uh, did you enjoy Scale? Are you going to do it again? Uh, yes, I would love to love to do Scale. I actually, um, I was there long enough uh, and talked to enough people that I actually got job interviews to work with Linux. Awesome. Um, yeah. Good so job. It was, it was really right good into experience. my feedback. Congratulations, sir. Congratulations. Uh, thanks for calling in. Uh, 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 let's see. Was Sweet Lou, are you still there? Sweet Lou, Sweet Lou. Oh, hold on, we got another call. Oh my God, Noah. Hello, you called into the Linux Action Show. I'm sure it was an accident. What's on your mind? That was an accident. See, I was right. I was right. <laughs> Sweet Lou, are you there, Sweet Lou? How do you pick up a line? Let's see. Well, uh, it depends. Where'd you park him? Or you're not parked? So I don't you, know, man. I don't. Oh, hold on, we got another call. Here we go. Hello, you called in the Linux Action Show. Hello, what's your name? Hello, hello. What's your name? Hello. This is Sweetlow. I'm I'm here. We must oh, have somehow good. got disconnected. You no, know, I, I I hung up on you for a second, but now I'm now I'm I, I hold on, I got another call now. How do I? Oh, hello, hello. This is the Linux Action Show. What's your name? Hello. So okay. Sweetlow, are you there again? Yeah, I'm here. You're a good man, Sweetlow. What's on your mind? All right, finish it up. And the and the. Librem pretty much screwed you over <laughs> royally. I mean, I mean, purism rather. Well, yeah, I don't know. Over. I mean, can you say that when you're when you're crowdfunding something like that? I didn't go to a website and put an order well, in. Well, right? they made you wait for nearly two whole years, and then you got something like what you had. You're just rubbing At it in. Point, you're, sweet Lou, you're rubbing it in. All right, hello. You called in the Linux Action Show. Who are we talking to? Uh, all right, everybody, buckle up. I'm freaking Batman. One. All right, in three, two. What's a Batman impression? No, that was not going to get me started. That wasn't my Batman impression.